All right, this is uh, Walla Walla Wine. What is it? What's this event called? Taste Walla Walla? Taste Walla Walla McCall Hall. All right, Taste Walla Walla McCall Hall. A lot of A's. I'll take A's. Uh, buy an A, please. There's Tracy. Uh, all right, so uh, this is uh, segment one, take one with uh, Ryan Crane, Curlew Sellers. Hey, this is Christopher Chan, your host of Happy Hour Radio, and I'm pleased to be downtown Seattle at McCall Hall for Taste Walla Walla 2016. We've got 50-plus uh, wineries here, all from Walla Walla Valley, and uh, they're here in Seattle pouring all of their great wines. Um, I have Ryan uh, Crane, who is the founder of Curlew Cellars, and Ryan, welcome to Happy Hour. Thanks, buddy. Happy to be here. Happy Excellent. To be here. So, um, how'd you get into wine? I dove in basically, lived in West Seattle and uh, 2005, uh, had, had aspirations to, to start, uh, start making wine, so uh, moved to Walla Walla with no, no job and uh, enrolled in school and hammered through school. And uh, <laughs> What year was this? 2006. 2006? And six. All right. Yep. That was yep. when the market was just starting to heat up. It was heating up. There's no doubt. Walla Walla's in fuego. They yeah. still are, but yeah. Uh, and then I uh, started working with Maria Forgeron and got a little white wine experience there, which she's talented with those wines and some reds. I was, I was basically a cellar rat, just clean tanks and topped wines and added SO2, and that's about it. And then uh, I had a chance to go work with Justin and Liz at Vapiano, um, and that's a custom crush facility. So Greg at Gramercy was there, uh, Tertulia, Trust, Otis Kenyon, Chateau at the time, um, wow. and then me. Yeah. Um, and then I had a chance to start Curlew in 07, and so I did. Uh, I only had 10 grand. And, uh, so one year, you're in Walla Walla, one year. Two you're, years. Oh, two years. So you're in 06, you started? 06, I started at... Forgeron. Forgeron. Then went to Justin's end of us. In 05, you were in school in at school. Uh, Walla Walla Community College. The VIT program. Yeah. Correct. Great stuff. Uh, was Miles still running the program then? Miles was still in the house. Yeah. So it was Mike Moyer who did uh, a knowledge part, and then Mr. Stan Clark. Was oh, no my way. VIT really? Until he passed away the year that I graduated. Yeah, uh, Stan Clark and of course Walter Clore, two of the Godfathers of Washington wine, and uh, Curlew Cellars. Cute name. I, I think it's got something to do with the last name Crane. Uh, let me know about the genesis of Curlew Cellars. The skinny on Curlew. Uh, yeah, when uh, when I started the brand, I wanted to um, have every bottle tell a story, and so um, and I wasn't going to name it after uh, me because uh, I'm not down with that. Um, so. Uh, uh, we did a bunch of marketing names, and Curlew was one of one of the the ones that were generated. So Curlew's a spit on my last one, which is Crane, and Curlew's the call of the Crane. Hence, Curlew was born. Excellent, and uh, I think we see some blue herons here in the Northwest. But do we have some cranes? Um, I don't think there's many. Um, but <laughs> you have a brother, though. I understand. I do, twin brother. So there are two cranes that are covering uh, the Washington State market. That's all right. All right. Well, um, I love the label. The two circles are, are those the O's and Curlew. That was uh, a play, our designer out of Portland, Sonia Jones, uh, was a play on the O, so originally we interlocked those. It was just too busy from a brand standpoint, but I like the simplicity. So we just did that from a design element standpoint, uh, basically uh, a play off of the O's on Curlew. Fantastic. Well, uh, lovely bottles, very sleek, sexy. Um, so your first commercial vintage was released when? 09. 09. And that was an 07 or an 06? 07s. Okay. 07's, two Syrahs, Lake Colleen and uh, Vapiano Lake Colleen blend. Let's talk about Lake Colleen for a moment. Uh, it's recognized as one of the, the great vineyards here in Washington State. How large is Lake Colleen? Is, is it in the Washington side or Oregon side? 
Yeah, uh, LLC is a, is a 240 acre site, and uh, so rather large, um, and it is on the Washington side. Uh, so you actually drive down State Line Road, and on your right hand side is Oregon, on your left hand side is Washington State. <laughs> I like that. Uh, I guess we are on the left, aren't we? We're a democratic state. <laughs> no, no, we are. I think Oregon is the same. So, um, did you taste a lot of international wine, or were you more of a Washington wine guy? So, you know what? I'm going to make great Washington wine. The answer is I tasted everything I could get my, my mouth on. Um, and I tasted Washington State, but I didn't want to move to California. I didn't want to move to Oregon. Um, and I believe that Washington State was moving in a direction, even though young. Um, uh, was where I wanted to make an impact. Um, I, when I'm out, I, I don't drink any Washington State wines, is the truth. Um, I gravitate towards Spanish and um, Italian and, and, and heavily French-driven wines. Excellent. Well, as I see the grapes, you uh, the varieties you've selected for uh, today's tasting is Grenache, Tempranillo, and I believe that's a Syrah on the, on the right. Lake Lean. Yeah, fantastic. So um, you poured me some Grenache here. Let's, let's talk about this one. I'm going to take a taste. Let's do it. Let's talk about it. Uh, so Grenache, uh, kind of the new uh, hot one out of Washington. Um, Grenache is a finicky one, really tough to grow. Uh, needs heat, doesn't want it. Uh, tends to kind of get rot, and then you get big extracted wines, which we are not focused on on that style of wine making at Curlew. So um, our Grenache, we try to keep focused and, and more classic in, in style, brighter, food driven. Uh, this wine's all from Upland Vineyard, which is Sunnyside Snipes Mountain AVA, uh, another remarkable site in Washington State. Todd Newhouse is the grower. Long history with the Newhouse family there huge, in Upland. Yeah. Huge, yeah. That's great. Um, and uh, this one, no oak. We don't do any oak in Grenache. Um, and 35% uh, whole cluster to, to bring some structure to the back end of the wine uh, and kind of flush out some tannins with this wine. Um, and tannins are talking about uh, of the, uh, the jacks that are on the clusters, right? This is where you're getting a little extra mature tannin. A little a little extra, a little extra uh, grippiness on the back end. Yep, and we do that with Grenache uh, all the time. And uh, this vintage is 2013. Well, I just tasted it, and uh, the first impression I had was it was nice and bright. This is bright red fruit, and with a, a driving core of acidity. And I think that that is uh, really a hallmark of world-class wines. Um, I think the fruit is nice and ripe. There's a touch of candy on it, which is delicious because it sort of foils that bright acidity. The tannin is uh, just moderate, um, but it's very smooth and definitely grape-driven. Um, this was just released this year. Fall. Fall. Yeah, the good and bad news is we tend to move through wines quickly. Um, and people ask a lot of times, oh, man, do you have back vintages? I, I, really, I really don't. Um, so, um, yeah, our 12 sold out in the spring, and so we um, held on to these wines until fall and uh, released these in, in uh, October. It's delicious wine. So um, where can we find Curlew Cellars here in Seattle or uh, King County? Yeah, we uh, made a, a, a big leap uh, over here about two years ago. And uh, we uh, opened a brand new production facility and taste room in Soto. So we're right uh, about two miles south of the stadiums in uh, Soto District. Uh, so it's on First Avenue on the right, just past uh, Spokane Street. Uh, a lovely place. You've got um, a cool brewery there and uh, a few fellow uh, winery mates, right? The, uh, yeah, there's lots of things happening in, in the urban movement right now. So us, uh, Structure, Scarborough, and then uh, throw a bone for uh, Mr. Jamie Brown at Waters is moving down there as well. Really? And then uh, Mr. Sean Boyd at Roti, um, and possibly Sleight of Hand. I know two of, two of the three have signed lease. So, um, it's, uh, it's happening. 
Wow, very cool. How exciting. And to, to have a, uh, well, you're all men down there, it seems all, like. All fellas. Uh, the Maria Forsrein looked, and uh, I don't think that they uh, pulled the trigger, but uh, it's all going to be um, the boys down there selling juice. Uh, how exciting is that? And uh, so your production facility as well. Uh, I'm looking at a Tempranillo. This is 2013 vineyard from, uh, sorry, 2013 vintage from Stone Tree. Um, let's talk about that vineyard, Stone Tree. It's in the Waluke Slope. Um, what's the age and how, how old is the, uh, are the Tempranillo vines? 99. Um, and Stone Tree, uh, I always tell people it's like uh, you need to bring your shotgun. And uh, it's uh, natural born killer land. Um, it's really, <laughs> really, really hot. It's a um, movie. Yeah, a good one too. Uh, Mickey um, and uh, uh, just really stressed vines. Yeah, they all look like they were planted yesterday. Um, and uh, I just love the the structure we get out of there. Um, and and Ted uh, Wildman is our grower and uh, is 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 one of the one of the top ones in the state as well. Um, so this is um, Tempranillo all from from there, uh, block 17 and block 24. We do two different picks to kind of find some, some roundness and uh, some overall concentration with the wine. Uh, one early and one a little bit later. Um, but this is our first vineyard designate temp from Stone Tree. Uh, 08 to 2012, we're a blend of Stone Tree and Lake Helene. Uh, and what drew you to Tempranillo? Obviously, um, Syrah and Grenache are Southern French, uh, Southern well, Southern Rhone style varieties. Um, Tempranillo comes from mostly Spain. And what drew you to Tempranillo? Uh, I, I love drinking Tempranillos, um, and I looked at our portfolio, although very Rhone focused, which will always be that way. Um, I thought two other varietals out of Washington State that were were taking off were Tempranillo and Malbec, um, and I wanted to kind of put a stamp on it. Um, and I, I hadn't really, outside of Greg's Tempranillo, tasted, there's not a lot of us that make it, but tasted one that I felt like uh, was really uh, representative of, of the varietal. So, um, and it also gave us a chance to kind of round out our portfolio when people are tasting through the wines. So Temp was kind of, um, kind of just a fascination and uh, a thought that uh, it had a good home in, in Washington State. Excellent. I'm speaking with Ryan Crane, the founder of Curlew Cellars, which is in Walla Walla, but now down in Soto off First Avenue, uh, just south of Spokane Street. We're tasting his 2013 Stone Tree Vineyard Tempranillo. Um, delicious. Again, uh, nice and bright. I guess the hallmark for his house style so far seems to be this great uh, old world style of acidity and uh, still ripe fruit, of course, with uh, gentle tannins that are integrated. I'm getting just a touch of vanilla on here. Is there a little bit of new oak here? Yeah, so we, um, Tempranillos are, are, are heaviest oak um, wine. Um, so this is 30%. Um, we use all French um, and or concrete on, on our own wines. Um, and this wine, we, uh, we do a punch-in uh, American mixed appellation with French heads and one new Sylvain Grand Reserve. Um, this is more tannic varietal than the vineyard, so it's more about managing that. Um, and then we look to do some phenolic um, uh, tannins with this to, to round out um, the whole the whole varietal um so yeah 30 percent on this wine um and we'll we'll kind of continue to be around around this range well i like the tannin it's definitely firm but it's not astringent it's uh it's just a nice i'll say a crusty bread tannin on the finish here with that nice jammy fruit but of course it's not um it's not a marmalade it's not cooked which sometimes tempranillo tends to be a little bit baked on the fruit side yeah, yeah i mean i think you know for us i my palate kind of gravitates more towards rioja driven tempranillos you know, Toro and Duero, they all they all they all have a place, but they tend to definitely be on that sort of big riper, 
uh, kind of fatter side. Um, and we, we try to, we, our goal is to stay away from that. So, and it's not easy with Tempranillo. Acid goes sideways quick and it can get really ripe fast too. So um, this is always one of our first picks and I'm really on these blocks to make sure that we're not um, not producing that sort of over-raisin sort of style of, of Tempranillo. Excellent. Well, uh, when we come back from this break, here at Taste Walla Walla 2016 at McCall Hall, um, we're going to continue our chat with Ryan Crane, uh, founder of Curlew Cellars here in Soto, and uh, taste his 2013 Lake Colleen Syrah. So stick around, folks. We'll be right back on Happy Hour Radio. Bam. Hey, welcome back. So this is uh, um, Ryan Crane, Curlew Cellars, uh, segment two, take one. Hey, welcome back to McCall Hall. This is Christopher Shan, your host of Happy Hour Radio, and I'm at Taste Walla Walla 2016. I had the pleasure of, um, well, chatting and tasting some great wines out of Walla Walla, Columbia Valley, um, with Curlew Cellars and uh, winemaker Ryan Crane. So, Ryan, we have enjoyed your 2013 uh, Grenache. We've had the Stone Tree Tempranillo, and now we're on to, uh, well, the vaunted celebrated Lake Colleen Syrah. Tell me about this wine. Yeah, uh, the infamous Lake Colleen. Uh, so first vintage of this wine was 07. Uh, very cool side in Walla Walla. Um, I always tell people that the reality is you can grow straw anywhere. Um, but uh, you can only grow straw in the right spots or you should pick the right spots, which would be cold, colder sites. Um, so this is a little higher elevated site. Um, you know, it's kind of like uh, having a seven-year-old kid. I, I've been familiar with it for a long time. And uh, we do 100% whole cluster ferment on this. Um, so this is this is all in. Uh, we don't de-stem this. We just hand sort it, foot stomp it after every half a ton, um, and then we ferment it. Um, so Syrahs for me out of Washington State uh, tend to be, uh, I, I'd say, um, kind of fruit balmy, um, and they don't have any weight on the back end. Uh, good fruit, uh, not much mid, and then nothing at the end. Um, and so our style is to bring some texture and some older world flair with Syrah, that with a cold side and a ton of whole cluster. Um, so this is what my uh, seventh vineyard designate from that site. Um, huge fam, uh, it just, it just uh, screams what we try to do with Curlew wines for Syrah. Well, it's, it's, it smells beautiful, um, and again, the uh, consistent weight of these wines on the palate. Um, you have an expression of fruit, which is nice and ripe, but not overripe, and I think that's one of the, well, typically one of the hallmarks for Washington Syrah has been a very ripe fruit, and um, you mentioned uh, foot trotting, uh, stomping a half ton of grapes. Tell me how long that takes to actually get it, how many feet does it take in that feet per minute? What are we using here? Yeah, so we... Um uh, my assistant and um, you know we have uh, crush uh, help that comes down and you know last year I remember uh, our first crush in Soto uh, we had six straw bins half ton fermenters uh, and we just had all five people dunk their feet in SO2 and jump in and 35 minutes later we're, we're done crushing and um, yeah it's uh, it's kind of a, a beer in hand and, and uh, hammering away with your feet and then hopping out and getting back at it so um, that's how that's how we make straws interesting so um, now is it something you have you can't be a tenderfoot when you're pre pressing wine with your feet do you have to have a little bit of uh, ability to withstand some of the the stiffness of the uh, of the jacks or is it really really pretty easy uh, no it hurts um, yeah, it's not, uh, it's not the most enjoyable, it's not like a pudding bath or anything like that. It's, uh, <laughs> you get a bunch of stems and, uh, you get some berries and then you, 
uh, get a little deeper as you crush and um, uh, yeah sometimes it's a, it's a feat no doubt um, literally um, I like that so all right well um, delicious wine this wine um, is still such a baby I can tell it's pretty wound up still um, but there's a fleshiness which I really appreciate and enjoy and I guess that fine acidity um, you've captured old world here in Washington of course maybe you need a little bit of Britannomyces or something just to sort of fool all the experts but uh, that's not always a good thing so um, Ryan Crane give us uh, again your address at your Soto facility your website and give me a price range on these wines yeah so uh, new location in Soto we still have Wall Wall open so um, new, uh, it's 3911 First Avenue South uh, 98134 uh, so just on the west side of First Avenue and uh, price point on juice for us is uh, anywhere from 26 to 50. Um, and um, yeah, that's, uh, that's the skinny. Excellent. Uh, and the website? Website. The website is just www.curlewsellers.com. Curlewsellers. Ryan Crane, thanks so much for joining me here at Taste Walla, uh, Walla Walla at McCall Hall. Thanks, Captain. Hey, welcome back to McCall Hall here in downtown Seattle, where we have the 2016 tour of Walla Walla, or Taste Walla Walla. And uh, my next guest is uh, one of the veterans here, and uh, a name you might recognize out there in Walla Walla, uh, Justin Basil, uh, formerly of Basil Cellars, and now with Foundry Vineyards. And Justin, welcome to Happy Hour. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. Excited to be here. Should be a good event. So uh, yeah, we're ready to get things rolling upstairs. Excellent. And it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Um, let's talk about your history in wine. When's the first? What was your epiphany wine that sort of turned you on uh, to follow this uh, career? Uh, well, I mean, there's a, a broad question with that. There's a bunch of things that really brought me to the industry. It, it all started when my family planted vineyards in uh, the mid-90s. Uh, I was about 12 years old, and I actually uh, helped out and helped plant the vines, uh, get the posts in. Uh, so it was a new experience for me. I'd never experienced anything like that. And Walla Walla, you know, hot summer. So as a kid, that really was uh, a unique experience for me. And that's where I started. And to be honest, I, I hated them back then. So uh, I've really grown to love it with age. And uh, we always have a joke in my family. Uh, you know, the vines are as temperamental as teenagers. And it, it was true. I definitely fought it for a while and uh, has, have come into it. And now it's basically all I know and all I love. So Very cool. And so where did they plant grapes? Uh, you had a, a nice piece of property. There was a very famous name. Was it Pheasant Run? Was that was I trying to remember here? That is correct. So Pheasant Run, yeah. Uh, we named it uh, after all the pheasants in the area. It was a really, really uh, big pheasant area, but it's up on a great uh, peak, uh, great air drainage, great slope, uh, right up there uh, near Pepper Bridge, North Star, so some great land, and uh, when my family actually purchased the land, uh, there really wasn't much up there, you know, you had Pepper Bridge, you had the vineyards, you had the, the apple orchards, and really only like two to three houses on the whole road, now there's a good, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten wineries uh, up there, and it's uh, one of the better spots to visit in town, so yeah. Did you take some training? Did you take some classes? Where did you find your winemaking chops? I mean, obviously you're probably a strong vineyard hand, although you may not enjoy it as much, but tell me how you got started into making wine. Yeah, and, and I, I mean, I love the vineyards now, but yeah, one of the big influences for me, I mean, Trey Bush, I got to work under Trey Bush, who's an amazing uh, winemaker, amazing marketer, because it's not just the winemaking side. You can make some of the best wine in the world and you have to sell it, and I have to say, hands down, Trey's one of the best at that uh, in the industry uh, here in the Northwest, so that was great working with him. I worked with 
with uh, Tom Glaze from Balboa for a while uh, and worked at uh, a Corliss for a couple years and then ended up at Foundry uh, and it's it's just been a great experience but uh, also I did the viticulture enology program out at the Walwell Community College so I'm a warrior out there uh, great great program and I was fortunate enough to go through it when Stan Clark was still there unfortunately he's passed away but he was definitely had a big influence on me uh, throughout the program so when did you graduate from the program uh, so I it's funny because I officially never graduated and that's one of the things that Stan actually helped me with but I was there uh, 2005 uh, 2006 a little bit and uh, it came out about half a year left in the program and uh, Trey had started slide of hand and he was going to that and uh, you know I approached Stan and said you know this is my opportunity to take over I think I'm ready you know and he's like no you, you have the experience let's do it and he's like otherwise you know you're gonna hire someone else at your family's winery and then possibly wait around forever to take that head winemaker's job and he goes uh, experience is some of the best education and so that's really what sold me on it so yeah I was actually short a few credits and uh, I could go back and do it maybe someday uh, but yeah it was it, it definitely for him to say that really had a, a big influence on me in, in my decision so and I'm glad I worked out the way it did I you're right it's a real internship you're uh, or an externship you're out there uh, well you know where money actually counts and it's not just for practice and in, in a school setting so uh, I'm seeing some uh, beautiful labels here I really love the labels uh, and obviously Foundry Vineyards was based on an truly an artisan style winery right yes and so I mean you probably hear about the unique experience you know part of the industry when you come to the taste rooms you really want that experience and at Foundry Vineyards one of the big draw even for me going there at the Andersons uh, great family from Walla Walla original family there uh, are the ones that started and they also started the Walla Walla Foundry which literally is one of the, the premier fine contemporary art foundries in the world I mean they're a big business 150 full-time employees most wow. of the time yeah and they do stuff castings of bronze resin you know anything you can think of and that's sort of how they got famous is they really said never said no to the artist uh, so they make the artist's dreams really come come to life and uh, so you come to our taste room and we have a full sculpture garden we have a gallery rotate quarterly and then our labels uh, incorporate into that uh, you actually have uh, our, our sort of mid-tier our main tier of wines are either photographs of close-ups of art pieces or work tables at the foundry and each year they slightly change a little bit uh, the, the, we basically have a color scheme to them they, they say uh, but and then we also have the Artisan Blend, which is our flagship Bordeaux blend, where we feature a different artist each year that we work with at the Foundry, and we do a release in November for that, and uh, the artist actually comes and does the dinner with us, so it's, it's really neat. I mean, we've had an artist come from New York, we've had all over, and it's, it's when I say art, it's not, you know, your uh, you know local art, it is major stuff you see in New York, Milan, wherever you go, you know, it's it's big time stuff. So for me, that was one of the biggest challenges with learning about the art. I'm a wine guy, I'm a vineyard guy, so uh, over the past two years, three years, I've really been uh, trying to get behind the art side on it but it's 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 a unique experience and a fun experience excellent and uh, when did you first start what was your first vintage at foundry yeah so 2012 is really the first full vintage at foundry I'd done a little blending with the 11s uh and uh, everything we do there is small lot so i mean we're under 5,000 cases so truly boutique uh we'll be up to about 5,000 cases when the 14 vintage comes out and that'll be our first big vintage so something we can do is really focus on quality over quantity uh we do a lot of oak ferment which I really believe in, I think, for color stabilization, for acid balance, uh, all that, it's great. And to be honest, with the ferments, if I had everything come in in one day, I'd have enough fermenters to get it done. So I'm not in a rush to finish my ferment. I can go through a slow process, get some of that maceration that I'm looking for, uh, but not take it over the top. So it's it's a nice balance being at a boutique winery where you can really focus on, on the quality. And each year you get to experiment with new stuff because you have that time to really try something new. And, it, you know, as a, in the wine industry, we 
I'll die never knowing it all, obviously. Like, I mean, <laughs> hopefully it's a long time. There's always a new vintage and yeah. a new set of uh, conditions to help us uh, try to craft the greatest wines we can. So um, the first wine here is a Chardonnay. It's steel Chardonnay, which leads me to believe this has got no oak. Let's talk about the 2013 Columbia Gorge Foundry Vineyard Steel Chardonnay. Yeah, that's correct. All stainless steel on this. Uh, really that, that bright acid uh, and uh, source it from Columbia Gorge from White Salmon Vineyard. Peter Brim, a great grower. Uh, I've known him for a little while now. Uh, and I mean, he's been all over the place, but a heck of a grower, truly. And I'm a big advocate. I mean, I'm a Walla Walla boy, you know, basically born and raised. I love the Walla Walla area, but sometimes, you know, we get that heat, we can get the sunburn issues and other stuff. Uh, you know, it's a business opinion. Some people like that. But for me, going to that cooler region uh, with the bright acid is a, is a great choice for the style that we're going for. And another cool little part add on to that is we co-ferment it with uh, Maria Gomez, a really rare Portuguese varietal. Uh, the only plantings in the Northwest that we know of are at Peter Brim's property, half an acre. So it's usually just four to eight percent that we go in there, but it really brings out the city in the mid palate. Uh, the other name is, uh, was it Pialamores or yes, something? Yeah. Was it? Was it? Yeah. So and it was yeah named after in the longer yeah. it was named after the professor that created the plants, uh, Professor Maria Gomez. Right, right. But yeah, they'll I'll use it still or sparkling. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, how cool! And uh, when we come back from this break, uh, we're going to dive into this 2013 Foundry Vineyard Steel Chardonnay from the Columbia Gorge, the uh, celebrated White Salmon Vineyard down there, um, a great cool location. Um, speaking with Justin Basil, uh, who is now the winemaker at Foundry Vineyard. Stick around, folks. We'll be right back to taste Walla Walla 2016 here at McCall Hall. You're listening to 570 KVI. Hey, welcome back to Taste Walla Walla. This is Christopher Chan, your host of Happy Hour Radio. I'm having the pleasure of speaking with Justin Basil, the winemaker for Foundry Vineyard, started there in the 2012 vintage. So Justin, um, we're about to enjoy this 2013 Steel Chardonnay. You said the, the fruit comes from white salmon down in the Columbia Gorge. Um, was this your wine or is this a style that you're emulating? Tell me about the genesis of the Steel Chardonnay. Uh, well, honestly, yeah, it's one of the wines I enjoy to drink. So it's something that I've, you know, produced and thought of mine where, where the consumer can enjoy and also me as a winemaker can enjoy. Of course, I want to make wine. I, I, I like to drink too, but I could make a wine I love and the rest of the public could hate it. So it's a business when it comes down to it. So we want to make something everyone enjoys. <laughs> I said, do that. Yeah. So for me, you know, the, the, the strong points of this wine and really what we focus on when we're going through ferment, going through aging on this is really bringing in out that, that bright acidity to it. Uh, it really is a naturally balanced acidity as long as we're picking the right time of year um, which this isn't one of the first grapes we pick it's mid-harvest so it's a little later than some of the other whites in the Columbia Valley and Walla Walla and all that but yeah so we focus really on on that bright acidity I mean it truly is a food pairing Chardonnay as, as you can tell with it um, not overpower stuff but at the same time that that acidity comes out and then you look at the residual sugar on it being pretty low it's a, right around 0.03 so it's it's down there it's dry it's yeah, yeah yeah so it doesn't come off sweet or anything but uh, no it's it's almost like you know the concrete vats or you know when they used to do the chardonnays in the well because a lot of people think oak chardonnay but you know there's been a big tradition with the, the concrete style of chardonnay clear back when so it's almost like an ode to that i guess i'd say that's great well i'm a big uh, burgundy fan and of course i love uh, chablis and uh, you've got great acidity here I, i'm curious about the level of bricks you picked it uh for this is this at 24 yeah pretty close yeah 23.8 was this finish yeah so you hit it right on the dot 
uh, yeah, we don't like to get it a little any higher than that, but we picked lower too. And uh, basically from 21 and a half to that 24 range is what we're, what we're going for. As long as the acid is holding on and not dropping, which you don't have a huge problem with that in the Columbia Gorge since it isn't as hot, uh, we have a little time to get it. But uh, again, yeah, then we got that you know three hour drive home hauling the stuff. And first mistake I ever made was I went over the Bridge of Gods with the, with the uh, or, I mean, or that's the Cascade Locks one, but the bridge at Hood River. And I had the fifth wheel trailer and I mean, you're basically slapping mirrors with people going by. So now I go through the Dalles and go back uh, that way. Uh, that was definitely an experience I'll never forget. Well, there's always some, some learning to be had uh, on these uh, vintage ventures, we'll call them. Uh, delicious wine, um, price range? Uh, so that is, comes in at $28 retail. Okay. Yeah, and less than uh, 100 cases produced a year, about 100 cases annually at most. So uh, definitely one of those small lot, true small lot wines. Excellent. Um, quite delicious. So the uh, next wine is a 2012 Artisan Blend. Uh, this is your, your art label. And uh, tell me who the artist is and what makes the blend. Yeah, so this is actually a cool one. Uh, I finally talked, uh, everyone at the foundry finally talked Jay Anderson. Right? He's our general manager, uh, part of the family that owns it. Uh, he's been involved in, in art his whole life and has had shows in Berlin, uh, I believe London and Seattle. Uh, and this is his first show in Walla Walla. And so we picked uh, one of his cast bronze pieces to go on the label. And uh, yeah, 100 cases produced annually. Uh, it's always a Bordeaux blend. This year we have Cap Base, 70% Cab, 25, uh, uh, 20, 25% Merlot and 5% Malbec. Uh, on the blend, but again, we're going for that, you know, a little more macerated, that deep, dark fruit, but not over the top. We want it, again, to be a food pairing style wine, so we don't want to over macerate it to a point where it blows a palate or and can uh, challenge the food that you're having. So it's definitely food friendly, uh, but I mean, we taste it right away. You can tell it's Eastern Washington fruit. Right. It's nice and ripe, but uh, again, I'm quite surprised you've got a great line of acidity than this wine, which is a little different. In 2012, was what we'll call um, an average good vintage for Washington? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, for us coming from the vineyard side, just getting out there and checking uh, basically the bricks every day and checking the acids, uh, the TA level, the pH level, and making sure everything's holding on. And uh, as a grower, it's funny because I, I work with my dad still in one of the vineyards at Pheasant Run. And, uh, you know, we're always arguing because he's definitely farm heavy. And uh, I, you know, I'm on the winemaking side looking at the acid, and he wants to pick, pick, pick so he can end the crew and get done for the year. And I'm going, you know, hold on, hold on, and the acid's still there. We're hanging. Let's get it. <laughs> that natural maceration get more sun on it and as long as that acid's hanging on there I'm perfectly happy but yeah my dad you know he's he wants to pull it get it done and call it a year well, he's about the business side of it and yeah. I understand that uh, well what's the percentage so this tastes like a 50% cab 30% Merlot uh, 70 70 cab 25 uh, uh, Merlot and 5 Malbec okay um, and the tannin is, is nice and managed you know the challenge with red wines is that obviously they go through malolactic fermentation which will change some of that acidity um, but I don't sense a lot of, I mean, the acidity's still bright. And how, did you go through 100% mallow in this? We did, yeah. And uh, went through mallow all the way. And something else uh, on this, we're doing anywhere from 26 to 30 months, usually, uh, oak age on our, our uh, higher end reds. And with this, I use a lot of Tigrain French oak, so made for the longer aging process. Uh, some softer oak, so it's, uh, the toasts aren't super heavy. It was just medium on it. So not overpowering it with the oak, really letting the fruit speak for itself.
yourself because I mean when you're bringing in good food you hear it a hundred times a lot easier to make good wine yeah I agree you know when I ventured on my first wine making project uh, it's made in the vineyard so uh, Foundry Vineyards 2012 Artisan Blend runs uh, so that is $36 okay and where what's your website and who can we buy your wines at here in King County yeah, so uh, www.foundryvineyards.com. You can check out the art. We have an online uh, uh, store there. Uh, and then any questions, you always get a hold of us. And then, if yeah, if there's any local wine shops that people use around here, you know, we're in Esquin, some of the bigger ones quite a bit. But always feel free to, to if you want to bring in something, just ask them. Our distributors A and B, and they can get it straight from A and B. And they can have it to you in a few days. We stock up here at Tiger Mountain, so the wine's just around the corner. Right on. All right, our last wines today here at Taste Well Well 2016 is the 2012 Syrah. Yeah, so Syrah to me is just one of those varietals. Uh, when I was a kid, I hated because you know it grows like a weed and wall. You spend more money thinning this back, and we'll, we'll actually uh, pick the fruit about uh, three to four tons, so pretty low yields to get that quality up. And uh, you know nowadays I love straw. It's one of my favorites to grow. Yeah, we spend a lot of money thinning it back and other stuff with the crew, but it comes out wonderful. And that's the years you know when we don't have the freezes because this is one of the lower parts. Of one the out of six, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But when it comes off, it's worth the wait. And uh, this year we actually had contracted our state stuff out, so we used Stillwater Vineyard 100%. I had a little rock straw available that year and uh, just chose the Stillwater. For me, I got to have that, that straw that if you taste it blind, you know it's a straw. That's very important to me. And again, not going for that over macerated style straw where it's over the top. This is really soft, you know, finish to it, but it's it's a big wine and uh, balanced well, I think, in my opinion. And, and uh, straws, yeah, definitely one of those that have to have taste like straw. I mean. It does taste like straw. It smells like uh, pepper, a little black pepper, a little white pepper, some violets, a little bit of garig, a touch of rosemary. Uh, the balance is just medium plus. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just a balance, but the, the body weight is yeah. medium plus. It's a full-bodied wine. It's got a lot of flavor, but I like the texture of this wine um, because what's great about Washington, in, in, the, in the beginning, we made Syrah like Cabernet Sauvignon, <laughs> 22 months or 24 months new French oak, and it just wasn't right. We didn't get it, but now, 15 years later, we've really got a, a whole group of talented winemakers who are crafting uh, world-class Syrah, and uh, obviously Saint Michel jumped in with in a big way to get some French producers here. This wine is the 2012. Um, when does and it's the uh, Artist Vineyard or what's the? It's Stillwater. Stillwater, and you call this lineup what? Uh, so that's our main tier. We basically have three tiers. Our entry level is our white on white and our foundry red, which is sort of separate labels. Uh, then all our second tiers, the sort of art labels. I was talking about the textures and backgrounds, either art pieces or work tables at the foundry, and then our flagship is the third tier. Excellent. How many wines all year uh, are you producing a vintage? Uh, well, it's, it's bouncing around each year. We sort of do a rotating wine, but right now we're sitting between seven and nine wines for the past couple of years. So, yeah, quite a bit of wines, but, um, again, everything's small lot. So, I mean, the largest wine we're producing is 600 cases, and that's our Foundry Red. Uh, the Sroggin, 125 cases, so truly small lot. So this time of year is the time of year where we're really winding down the wines, uh, which is a good thing because <laughs> your business has got to sell them to make money. But uh, as a winemaker, you know, I'm, I'm starting to stash my cases in my garage in my, my cellar so I make sure I at least have a couple of them. <laughs> All right. Myself. Well, what a treat, Justin Basil. Great to see you. Good to see you uh, found a, a nice home at Foundry Vineyards and it's foundryvineyards.com. Um, I'm going to get upstairs and taste some wine here in a little bit, but thanks for joining me on Happy Hour Radio. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. It's pretty easy. She should be chatting. Okay, this is going to be uh, segment one. This is Keith Johnson with Sleight of Hand Cellars. Segment one for uh, our second show. Uh, this will be a 14 minute interview. All right. Um, let's go ahead and pour some wine here so we've got it ready to go. I love this chest. Man. All right. Do you like this top or not? 
Hey folks, Christopher Chan, your host of Happy Hour Radio, and I'm out and about uh, at Taste Walla Walla 2016. This is a big event here at McCall Hall in downtown Seattle, Space Needle in Seattle Center. Uh, 50 plus wineries, and uh, I've had uh, lots of great wine to taste, and of course some great interviews. And right now, I've got uh, the production winemaker for Sleight of Hand Cellars, Keith Johnson is here. Uh, Keith, welcome to Happy Hour. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Great. Well, let's talk about Sleight of Hand Cellars. It's interesting. My last interview was with Justin Basil, and he talked about his uh, uh, learning how to make wine under the tutelage of uh, Trey Bush. And, uh, of course, Trey worked at Basil Cellars. Then he, he ventured off on his own, I think it was in 19, uh, 2007 or something. Mm -hmm. And so let's get caught up. Tell me about Sleight of Hand Cellars. So Sleight of Hand was started by Trey Bush and Jerry Solomon in 2007. Um, the, the idea was to be a small two-man show and make, uh, make about 2,000 cases of wine. And here we are... Here we are nine years later, and we are making about uh, 9,000 cases of wine for sleight of hand, and then we've got some other side projects as well. So we're located in Walla Walla. We've got a beautiful property on the south side of, of town down by the uh, down by the Oregon border. And, um, and uh, we make really great wine, and we listen to a lot of vinyl, and... Um, that's that's kind of the story of sleight of hand. So sleight of hand is is uh, uh, an ode to Trey's interest in, uh, of course, magic and uh, deception. <laughs> you say mostly Pearl Jam, actually. So Trey is the biggest Pearl Jam fan you'll ever meet in your life, and he named the winery after a Pearl Jam song off the album Binaural. Sleight of hand is uh, is track one, side three of Binaural. If for any of you out there that have it on vinyl, and. Um, it's a song a little bit about finding your way, and Trey just felt it was it uh, suited him because his path to wine was uh, was very circuitous and uh, took him through um, took him through from Nordstrom being a buyer from Nordstrom to to winemaking on a uh, based purely on a friendship, and it got him out of the corporate world, and now he he makes wine and travels around the country listening to Pearl Jam. So yeah, so fun. Well, uh, we all have our own Pearl Jam stories, and I'll save mine for later, but let's talk about your uh, interest in foray into uh, viticulture and enology. Tell us how you got started. Was it drinking wine? Is it a wine family, or what got you into? Uh, no, I worked at, uh, I like many people, went to college without any clear idea of what I wanted to do, and ended up working in restaurants, and um, I was fortunate to work at a restaurant that uh, the owner was very into wine and, and took the wine, uh, the wine part side of things very seriously, and started just teaching me a little bit about wine. And we drink wine after you know after the restaurant closed and things. Right, like who was this and where? Uh, this was actually a little tiny restaurant. I had moved back to my hometown of Pendleton, Oregon. Um, so uh, no no restaurant that anyone would ever know. It was a little tiny Italian restaurant uh, back in um, I guess this would have been about oh five oh six. Um, so I got curious from there. I ended up going to work for a distributor marketing wine. Um, I was with them for about a year um, and realized that as much as uh, the sales side is very important and I enjoyed it, uh, I needed to get closer to the source. So in 2009, I moved to Walla Walla and enrolled in the uh, Community College Genealogy and Viticulture program in Walla Walla. Uh, during that time, I was very fortunate to work full-time for Rich Funk at Savaya. Oh, so yeah. I spent uh, two years doing, um, being a full-time student and a full-time seller hand at, uh, at Savaya Cellars. And actually at that time, Sleight of Hand was renting barrel storage space from Savaya and making their wine there. And um, in the winter of 2010, Sleight of Hand bought property to build their own winery. And 
by summer of 2011, I, when they were ready to move into their new property, I just moved with them, and I've been there ever since. Fantastic. Well, you've got a great tutelage, of course. Uh, Rich Funk has got some uh, some fantastic wines all around. Bordeaux blends, cabs, Merlot, and of course his Syrahs Funk. Funkadelic? No, that's no, you. No, that was us. That that's was so us. funny. Uh, well, how great is this? So this this wine is just a new release. It's called the Psychedelic, and it looks like a Jimi Hendrix album. Uh, yeah. So we started making. This comes from the Rocks District of Milton Freewater, um, and our first wine that we produced off the Rocks District, we actually bought grapes from Rich Funk to make um, make a Syrah from the Rocks, and so. In homage to Rich and also a nod to his love of music, Trey called the wine the Funkadelic. Um, so we came up with this really fantastic bubble letter label with an album in the middle, uh, foil, and, and it's colorful. It's my favorite label that we do. And so in 2012, we had the opportunity to become partners in the Stony Vine Vineyard with Dusted Valley. And when that opportunity came up, we decided to, to go for it. But that changed our Rocks District fruit source. So we could no longer call the wine the Funkadelic because we were not buying it from Rich anymore. So we decided to just call it the Psychedelic and we could keep the same basic label design. We didn't lose that branding. So. It's really fun, and um, uh, let's taste the wine. Uh, this vintage is the 20... Uh, 2013. Excellent. Mm. Wow, this is uh, just brimming with red, purple, dark black fruits, um, spice, garig, black pepper, violets. Um, herbal quality comes through, but it's very restrained. It's just a little bit of uh, lifted complexity. And the mouthfeel here, um, it's very polished. How do you achieve this for um, a wine like Syrah? So, uh, mouthfeel is one of the one of the things that we focus on the most. It has to do with our fermentation length, our fermentation temperature, a little bit to do with our cap management. Um, but we think the key to the mouthfeel on this wine is the Rocks District is a very high pH area. Just all of the grapes coming off of it naturally are are relatively low in acid for red wine making. Um, in order to achieve the mouthfeel we're looking for, um, we take that that lower that higher pH um, wine. Um, gives you a silky, rich mouthfeel, but we want some structure to it as well. So to, to get the balance we're looking for, we include a lot of whole cluster in this fermentation. This was um, about 50% whole cluster, and we foot stomp all of that. Um, and, and the stems just give you a little bit of muscle, and they really counter the fact, the, the low acid, so you get the rich, creamy, almost mouthfeel from the low acid, and then you get that nice, uplifted um, tannin structure from the, from the stems and stem inclusion. And um, for us, we think that's the key to making great wines off the Rocks District. Do you have to balance these wines at all? Because you mentioned low acid, and it's not seeming low, but I think that's a, that's a high pH is the low right. acidity, right? Yes. So you're yeah. just readjusting the pH? We don't adjust the pH. Um, at all on this wine, actually. So this is an—it's a very interesting thing on the the Rocks District area. The the tradable acidity, so the acid that you taste, is not particularly low. But the pH, because of a very high potassium level in the in the grapes, and this might be too technical, the, the potassium is so high that your pHs are always high. Um, so even though the TA is not remarkably low, the pH is still high, and it's all very—it's um, uh, all very complicated chemistry and and. Really Really not terribly interesting, but um, so mouthfeel is related to pH, right? So That's how I, California does it. Yes, mouthfeel, mouthfeel as far as that silkiness and that that richness, that mouth filling quality, oftentimes is the pH. Um, what we have found to help give this wine liveliness again is the stems, but it also doesn't come across 
surface is soft because the TA is not terribly low. I mean, this is probably right on average as far as the, the acid that you taste and the, the, the uplift that that gives on the palate. Um, All right, so TA means tartritable acidity, which is how you can precipitate acid uh, from a solution, all that solution being wine. Um, this is really delicious, and uh, it's a gorgeous wine. How many Syrahs do you produce there at uh, Sleight of Hand Cellars? And give me a, a, a sort of summary of all the wines you do. Uh, yeah, so at Sleight of Hand, we make way too many wines. Um, I think we make now, uh, we make a Riesling, a Chardonnay, and a Rosé for kind of our white wine program. Um, then we do two value-priced red blends, and then we move into our, our reserve-level wines um, with a uh, homage to Cheval Blanc and Saint-Emilion, so a right bank Bordeaux-inspired blend of Cabernet Franc and Merlot, and we make a Cabernet. And then we make two Syrahs. We make the Psychedelic, and then we make the Levitation Syrah, which is a blend of three different vineyards. So the Psychedelic is our single vineyard Syrah, all off of Stony Vine. The Levitation is a blend of Lake Colleen, Lewis, and Stony Vine, um, and gives us more of a, it's labeled Columbia Valley Syrah, and we feel it really epitomizes Columbia Valley Syrah. It leans a little more towards the fruit-driven spectrum than the Psychedelic does, while still maintaining that uh, savory character that we love in our Washington State wines. Very savory, and I think that's a hallmark for, for uh, great Syrah from around the world. When you think of savory, we're talking about the Northern Rhone and you know pieces of the Southern Rhone when you think about the blends. Um, you do 100% Syrahs, do you do some Rhone-style blends as well? We have not bottled a Rhone-style blend to date, but um, I wouldn't uh, wouldn't count on that remaining. We just uh, we just picked up a new, uh, very exciting vineyard source um, up the North Fork of the Walla Walla River that has Grenache and Syrah planted, and uh, there is a potential that we will be doing a single vineyard Rhone blend off of that vineyard. Um, but we don't know yet. Uh, we'll have our first fruit this year. And what percentage of all your fruit uh, hails from Walla Walla Valley? Ooh, we're probably about 30 to 40 percent. We also work with a couple of vineyards on Red Mountain. Uh, we work with the Great Finney Hill Vineyard in the Horse Heaven Hills, um, Lewis Vineyard in the Yakima Valley, uh, Upland Vineyard on Snipes Mountain. We, we're fairly wide-ranging in our fruit sources. Our, our theory is we're willing to drive a little bit to get the best fruit that we can possibly acquire. <laughs> Excellent. Well, uh, give me a, a wrap-up of your, a, your, your location. Do you have tasting rooms around the state, your website, and uh, how we can find your wines? Yeah, we have we have a tasting room at um, at our property in, in Walla Walla at the winery, uh, 1959 JB George Road, south of Walla Walla. So we're next door neighbors with Savaya across the street from Balboa and Barrison, just down the road from Vapiano and Pepperbridge, um, as well as many others. Uh, great area to go wine tasting. Um, our wines are fairly widely available, especially on the west side of the state. Um, we are distributed over here, and um, you can find our wines uh, really anywhere that has a wine steward. Most of the better wine shops have our wine, and uh, and lots of restaurants so um and if they don't have it they can order it and if they don't have it they can order it absolutely you can you can get your hands on almost anything we make over here and uh, on the west side and the website the website sfhsellers.com s of s of s of f h sellers.com all right uh keith johnson the production winemaker for sleight of hand sellers thanks so much for joining me here on happy hour radio thank you so much for having me really happy with that Hey, that was Keith Johnson with Sleight of Hand Cellars, and uh, when we come back from this break, I'm going to have Kendall mix up. He is the winemaker for Cataretta, which is based in Walla Walla. So stick around, folks. You're listening to Happy Hour Radio on 570 KVI. 
Hey, welcome back to Happy Hour Radio. Um, I am out and about uh, at Taste Walla Walla 2016 here at McCall Hall in Seattle here at the Seattle Center. And my next guest is a well-traveled man, a well-versed man in viticulture and enology, Kendall Mix, uh, winemaker extraordinaire, currently with Cataretta Cellars, and excited to, to learn about their story. And I want to say, Kendall Mix, welcome to Happy Hour. Thanks, Christopher. Great to be here. So let's talk about how you got into the wine uh, wine business. Well, I'm originally from Edmonton, Alberta, so not really a travel uh, path traveled very well. But my parents were into wine, and I studied microbiology. So when I was looking for something to pursue my microbiology with, that led me to viticulture and enology at UC Davis. So I went down there to study viticulture and enology and... Then being from Edmonton, it led me back up to Washington, a little bit closer to home. And what years are we talking about this? When were you enrolled? Uh, I was at Davis from 88 to 91, and I moved to Washington in 93. Now, was that actually your your collegiate career, or was that a post-collegiate endeavor for microbiology? That was was a, a graduate degree at Davis. Excellent. So you studied at the University of Alberta? University of Alberta for my microbiology. Oh, very cool. All right. So um, your folks were into wine and they lived in Alberta. Were they drinking Okanagan wines? Were they drinking French wines? Were they drinking Molson? (laughs) Well, always Molson. That goes without without doubt. Um, No, mostly French wine, Italian wine. They, They had accumulated a little bit of a wine cellar. Uh, when I was in elementary school, we lived in the Okanagan for a couple of years, so that was really the first time that I was introduced into uh, vineyards and wineries. Um, but it really, I didn't really tap into that until I was a little bit older. All right, and uh, did you have an epiphany wine that says, yeah, damn, I'm glad I'm uh, <laughs> in this whole microbiology, viticulture thing? I think UC Davis Pet really impressed me. I think uh, just when I was, the first time I went wine tasting down in the Napa Valley uh, and I stopped at Robert Mondavi, back in those days there wasn't the number of wineries that there are now, um, but just the focus on quality, uh, their Cabernet, um, that their Napa Cab, um, just really drew me in and from then on there, from there on it was just that's, this is what I want to do. Yeah, Robert Mondavi impressed me too. And a funny story about uh, his connection to Seattle. The CEO of the Rainier Brewery uh, was a Rainier Club member. And uh, D. Wayne Krager uh, was trying to divest his uh, investment portfolio for the Rainier Brewery. And he lent uh, some Italian guy down in Napa, California, $20,000 to start a winery in 1965. And that was Robert Mondavi. <laughs> wow, that's a pretty amazing story. It's a good story. And I'm pleased to have had the chance to have meet D. Wayne and his lovely wife. Um, so now you found found uh, your winemaking uh, career started where? Well, my first job was actually with Robert Mondavi, my first internship um, when I was still a student at UC Davis. And I ended up doing two internships at Mondavi uh, before I graduated and then uh, went to work for R.H. Phillips, was my very first job. Uh, Toasted head. Toasted head, yes, exactly. Um, And then it was at that time when an opportunity came up in Washington and I wanted to be closer to home, so 1993 I moved up and joined the Chateau Saint-Michel team. Oh really, 1993? 
Yes, they, they had just built a brand new red facility, their Canoe Ridge Estate facility. And I became the assistant winemaker with Charlie Hoppus. Charlie Hoppus was there, and then wasn't Kevin Mott there too? Or Kevin Mott was actually Canoe Ridge Vineyard, the oh, Walla Walla version it. of Canoe Ridge. All right. Exactly. Well, it's great. Uh, truly the... Uh, the, the uh, uh, family tree of uh, enology and viticulture starts with uh, the, the names Associated Vintners and Shadow San Michel. Um, so in 93, how long were you with uh, Canoe Ridge Estate and uh, what was your next venture? I was with them for 10 years. Uh, then I actually went to the other Canoe Ridge in Walla Walla, uh, spent a couple of years there. Uh, that was about the time that they were being purchased by Diageo. And Diageo wasn't really sure what they wanted to do with the Washington properties. They were they were really excited about the California properties, but um, of the Shalone Wine Group. And so an opportunity came up for me with Corliss Estates. So I, I chased that opportunity. I uh, was with Corliss for six years before um, going over to Goose Ridge. Did you do the first release of Corliss or? I did the first release at Corliss, yes, which was the uh, 2003. 2003, I remember, large yes. Vessel, yes. the wines. Now those wines were in barrel when I got there, oh, um, got so I blended those wines, but from 2004 on, uh, I took those wines from fermentation, from vineyard to bottle, basically. Excellent, so then it was Goose Ridge, uh, the Monson family, lovely people. Yep, Munson family, Goose Ridge, wonderful estate, uh, the largest contiguous vineyard in Washington State. Uh, 1,600 acres? Actually, it's grown from that. It, that was, uh, I think the vineyard is actually up to about 1,800 acres or 1,900 acres now. The estate proper is about 2,700 acres total. <laughs> okay, you can get lost out there. You need a call, emergency call station somewhere. Um, and that's a great little location. You see that when you're t driving off of uh, from Red Mountain to Tri-Cities there. Yeah, it's an immense estate. So it's directly across from Red Mountain. And if you stay on 82, uh, you'll follow that around for several miles, actually. All right, so I'm looking at some lovely wines here. Cataretta, so now we're up to, once you've uh, had an opportunity to join Cataretta, you did. Tell me about the Middleton family. Uh, the Middleton family, they're a fifth generation Washington family, originally out of the timber industry. Uh, they got into table grapes down in California uh, when they had to divest out of the timber industry due to the spotted owl crisis. Uh, that led them to wine grapes in California, which led them back to wine grapes in Washington. So they've kind of come full, full circle uh, from their Washington roots. Excellent. And so uh, they're into wine. When did Cataretta start? Cataretta was started in 2007. And actually, an interesting little tidbit, their original winemaker, Virginie Borg, was actually one of my interns when I was at Chateau Saint-Michel. So as big as we think our industry has grown over the last several years, it's still a pretty tight little group. Sounds like football a little bit. <laughs> Everyone knows somebody. Um, well, congratulations, you're with Cataretta and uh, a, a great, um, well, a very resourceful family. And you've got, how many wines are you producing there? We've got uh, four core wines right now. We have the SBS, we have our Syrah, our Cabernet, um, and then a Winthrow and a Springboard. So actually five core wines uh, for Cataretta, but we're about to release a set of wines from our Southwind Vineyard, a state-designated wines. Uh, the first one is actually gonna re release this spring. 
um, and we're just calling it the Southwind Red at this point. <laughs> okay, uh, sometimes that can be creative enough and original. So Cataretta SBS stands for Sauvignon Blanc Semillon, a classic blend of two white varieties, uh, most prominently known for the uh, Bordeaux blends, the white Bordeaux blends. And of course, um, Mondavi had a beautiful Sauvignon Blanc called their Fumé Blanc, as well as the Tocalan Vineyard Fumé Blanc. Let's talk about this SBS, uh, your style. I see it's twist off and uh, nice green glass. Yes, yeah, so with SBS, we really uh, want to focus and capture the essence of the Sauvignon Blanc and just complement that with a little bit of richness from the Semillon on the palate. Um, so what we do is we uh, stainless ferment everything. We don't put it through any kind of malolactic fermentation. So we really want to capture that fruit, floral, uh, papaya, citric aspect of the semillon and then get a little bit of apple and pear and richness on the palate from the semillon. So it's an 80-20 blend uh, with our 14 vintage. This is showing lovely and I think I tried this was it the 13 we tried last year? It was. We've just released the 14. This one seems to be more tropical a bit, and I think it has some of that uh, green apple and pear, and um, the the ripeness, the spectrum of fruits here is definitely tropical stone uh, tree and some citrus. Uh, that richness with the semillon, um, it gives it a nice balance. I think you can get green notes out of Sauvignon Blanc, much like the Loire Valley, and of course our friends from New Zealand. Um, that's not always my favorite. I think I like the California style where you get the tropicalness, but you also get the herbaceous of the Sauvignon Blanc, which I think is important. California doesn't always get that. I think there's one or two that can do it down there. True, exactly. And I think we do have that. It's more in the in the background uh, of this wine. It's not a prominent note, but it's there. Uh, and we've got lots of layers with this wine. I, I really think this is a wonderful food wine. Uh, complements all different kinds of cuisine, Asian cuisine, uh, salads, um, and from my personal perspective, at home we tend to drink a lot more Sauvignon Blanc as far as white wines than we do Chardonnay or Viognier or other whites. Uh, so for my palate, it's a well, that's what counts. I mean, you got to drink it if you can't sell it, which is uh, certainly a priority. And uh, I have the pleasure of speaking with Kendall Mix, uh, the winemaker for Cataretta Cellars uh, in Walla Walla. they got a beautiful tasting room. It's actually uh, on top of, uh, uh, well, a ridge line. We'll chat about that when we come back from this break. I've got two red wines here with Kendall Mix. So stick around, folks. We're at Taste Walla Walla 2016 right here on Happy Hour Radio. Hey, welcome back to Happy Hour Radio, and uh, I am here in uh, downtown Seattle, well, actually the Seattle Center for Taste Walla Walla 2016. I've got Kendall Mix, the winemaker for Cataretta Cellars. We just enjoyed his 2014 SBS, a Sauvignon Blanc, 80%, 20% Semillon, um, delicious wine. Uh, Kendall, why don't you pour me a little bit of the red wine you've got here, and I think we'll, we'll dive into this and uh, start to enjoy, uh, well, what we'll call um, one of your signature wines now, because uh, it's uh, the Syrah you're, you've got, and it looks like it is 2013 vintage. Yes. Um, tell me about this Syrah. Uh, this Syrah, it's uh, predominantly from Stone Tree Vineyard, which is up on the Waluk Slope. I've worked with Stone Tree Vineyard for a number of years, and it's great to be reunited with Stone Tree with Cataretta. Um, gets great ripe black uh, fruit, lots of plum, lots of black cherry, lots of uh, blackberry uh, and then we're aging this in oak for about 22 months uh, predominantly French oak um, 
it's about 60% new and then 40% uh, older barrels, previously used barrels. And it's just really, the, we get a little bit of toast, a little bit of coffee out of the oak, but really trying to focus on the fruit, the jammy fruit character of Syrah. Um, there's a little bit of um, Moved and Grenache, and just a touch of Viognier from some co-fermentation that was done. So it's it's a nice blend. It's 82% Syrah, uh, and then smaller percentages, obviously, of these other varietals. Excellent, and uh, it's quite delicious. It's a moderate plus weight on the palate. Um, it's polished at front, but it has a lot of texture with that oak integration, the ripeness of fruit. Uh, you're, you're right, um, black plum, um, blackberry, um, boysenberry, some black fig, black currant. Um, it's definitely a, a very dark fruit flavored wine, and uh, you get hints of the uh, spice and garrigue. Um, and this is Stone Tree Vineyard? Predominantly Stone Tree Vineyard. We, we've got a little bit of our Southwind Vineyard in the blend as well, and then we have uh, our Grenache sources uh, uh, come from Monette's Vineyard, which is a small vineyard uh, in Walla Walla. Mm, delicious wine. So the SBS and the Cataretta 2013 Syrah, what are the price points of these wines? Uh, the SBS retails for 23 the Syrah retails for 35 and the Cab retails for 40 All right, well, let's move on to this Cab. I've got it in my glass. It's also a very, very dark, inky wine, standing of the tears. Um, and this is 2013 vintage? Uh, this is actually 2011. Yeah, so it's one of the cooler vintages in Washington. If not the coolest. If not the coolest, absolutely. Um, the predominant uh, source of cab for this is on Red Mountain, Red Mountain Vineyard and Obelesco Vineyard. So it's it's fairly big, dense uh, Cabernet uh, for the 2011 vintage, which was a little bit of a softer vintage for Cabernet in Washington. Uh, it's also got a little bit of a Malbec, uh, Merlot, and Petit Verdot in the blend. So it's 81% Cab, 8% uh, Merlot, 6% Malbec, and 4% Petit Verdot. All right, sounds like a great recipe. And uh, for all of our listeners out there, uh, wine labeled Cabernet Sauvignon must be, by law in America, a minimum of 75% Cabernet Sauvignon, or the main grape. That's with any variety, except for Pinot Noir, which I believe in, in Oregon has to be 100%. If I recall, or is it 95? I'll have to check my books again. Um, I'm glad you brought the 2011, Kendall, because 2011, the cool vintage, it definitely needs time. And go figure, it's already, this is the, I like to say the fourth year, because once it's in bottle, that's when I believe it's really starting to mature in the bottle. That's where you get the secondary development. Agreed. Def, you know, once you get it in the bottle, then some of those secondary and tertiary flavors start to develop with, with additional aging. And personally, again, uh, I think we drink wines way too early in this country for the most part. And uh, way too fast. And way too fast. <laughs> so I'm all in favor of laying wines down for a few years, uh, giving them some time to develop and evolve. And that's when I think you really get the, the additional layers to a wine and the different personalities come out as you let the wine breathe in the glass. And it's much more of an experience. I agree, and it's great to taste a wine that um, was so tightly wound, just like a Bordeaux, a cool vintage Bordeaux. 20 years later, a cool vintage Bordeaux is really a phenomenal wine, even though it might be a little more herbaceous, but it's still, you, we got ripeness. I mean, you let these hang until when in 2011? They hung until late October, early November, uh, particularly for the Cabernet. The Merlot was picked a little bit earlier. It's an earlier ripening. So it was uh, towards the end of September, beginning of October. There's typically about a 
30 days difference uh, between when Merlot starts to ripen and when Cabernet starts to ripen. Uh, so it was spread out through that month of October. Fantastic. Well, a lovely lineup. Uh, your website and where can we find your wines in Seattle? We're uh, www.cataretta.com. Uh, our wines are any of the finer wine shops in town are carrying the Cataretta label. Um, and and a lot of some of the supermarkets as well. Any uh, events coming up for Cataretta or Walla Walla? We've got uh, our tasting today, uh, our spring release is coming up. You're missing the tasting today. <laughs> that was a couple weeks ago for everyone listening to this. Uh, sorry about that. We're, uh, we've got spring release coming up uh, at the beginning of May. Uh, we also have a tasting at the end of February down in Portland. All right, perfect. Uh, Kendall Mix, winemaker for Cataretta Cellars. Uh, thanks so much for joining me on Happy Hour Radio. Thank you, great to be here. Helix is a small, tiny town outside of Wall. Okay, this is going to be show number three, segment one. I'm here with uh, Chuck Reininger of Reininger Winery in Walla Walla. Hey, welcome back to Happy Out. No, that's not right. Because uh, this is the beginning of the show. You're like me, Hey, welcome to Happy Hour Radio. This is Christopher Chan, your host, and I am downtown at the Seattle Center for Taste Walla Walla 2016. Uh, here at McCall Hall, 50-plus wineries, and uh, it's a real delight. Um, and the delight continues with Chuck Reininger, the founder of Reininger Winery in Walla Walla. And I'm going to say, Chuck, welcome to Happy Hour. Thank you very much, Christopher. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's really, really fun. Um, we've known each other for quite a long time, and we go way back, I think, uh, to the late 90s and early 2000s for sure. Um, let's talk about uh, Reininger Winery, how you got started, what drew you into wine, and, uh, well, what's the story? <laughs> I have my wife to thank for that, actually. Uh, I grew up in Bellevue, and uh, she grew up in Walla Walla. Both sides of her family came from uh, the Walla Walla Valley, immigrated over on the Oregon Trail back in the 1860s, 1880s, and uh, so she kidnapped me and took me back over there to Walla Walla, and actually at that time my, uh, my dream was to start a brewery here in Seattle, and uh, so when uh, she took me over there, she politely said, Chuck, I'm heading to Walla Walla for the weekend to look at houses, would you care to join me? Uh, I said yes, obviously, and I thought I could start my brewery there. But there are three things that were really important to uh, starting the winery. One was meeting my love, Tracy, my wife, and her kidnapping me over there. The other was my uh, parents instilling this love of Mother Nature and uh, my family uh, introducing me to climbing. I used to do a lot of climbing uh, throughout the Northwest, Alaska, Argentina, and uh, when I moved to Walla Walla and uh, we got married, um, I was driving through Dry Falls and found this book called Cataclysms of the Columbia, and this was long before I ever started uh, making wine, and learned about the geology of eastern Washington and the ancient uh, glacial floods, and that just mesmerized me because um, it just went along with my love of, uh, my reverence for Mother Nature, if you will. Interesting. Before you go further, I want to know where this book was. You said you just found this book. Well, yeah, actually, it was on our honeymoon, but uh, Dry Falls... Um, that sounds like a book I'm going to pick up on our honeymoon. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, it, uh, Dry Falls is uh, just a couple miles south of Highway 2 um, near Cooley City. And uh, this book ta talked about J. Arlen Bretz, uh, who's the one that figured out uh, all about the ancient glacial floods. And uh, it was just so dang intriguing to me um, that, uh, and it just reinforced all the things that, you know, I love about geology and uh, what I see in the mountains. Well, um, I started wa working for Waterbrook Winery. They needed some help there. Some old college friends started it. So that's Rindle, right? Back yeah, in 1996. Yeah, Eric Rindle and Janet Byerly. They started it. Janet, uh, my wife Tracy and I went to college together. And uh, uh, they needed some help at their winery when I first moved over there. So uh, I was working in their cellar and I tried some, uh, tried my hand at home winemaking. And uh, when I did that and understood the process of making wine, along with this reverence that I have for the forces that have created our world, in understanding the geology of uh, eastern Washington and the soils of Walla Walla, the light went on. And and uh, the, the light, light went on and I just, what really intrigued me was this umbilical cord between geology, the earth, and, and wine. That umbilical cord being the vine, you know, it just connects it all. And that to me, you know, I wasn't a student of wine at the time. I enjoyed wine. I wasn't a, you know, so-called connoisseur at all. But uh, that connection, that umbilical cord and understanding where uh, the vines get their nutrients from and how our soils were created just blew me away. And I uh, discovered that uh, this is something uh, that I enjoyed more than, well, winemaking was something that I enjoyed more than making beer. Sorry for all you beer fans out there. I still love beer. But, uh, you know, it's just a real connection to, to Mother Earth. I love it. Speaking with Chuck Reininger, the founder of Reininger Vineyards, uh, Reininger do you have vineyards? <laughs> no, actually we don't. We contract. Okay. Reiniger Winery in Walla Walla. And uh, you were one of the first wineries people would see after Lake Cole and Woodward Canyon coming in to the valley. And I know that uh, they since uh, updated a, a thoroughfare, which sort of circumvents that. And uh, it's it's interesting because we really missed the Cougar Crest and the Reininger and then the Three Rivers. Those were like the, the beacons that uh, we finally made it because that drive is can be long. Yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. DOT did a wonderful job for us. You know, they actually charge us for those uh, tour signs out there, twelve hundred dollars a year to take away thirty percent of our visitors. You know. Yeah, that's crazy, <laughs> and it's too bad too, because I know that you know you're going seventy miles an hour, and you oh, there's the exit. Oh well, no, it's it's too bad because that was a really fun. I mean, when you when you got a left turn into the winery, it's hard not to say no. Yeah, yeah, but it's still a wonderful location, and uh, we actually started out at the airport in 1997. Uh, so when we started out there, there weren't any other wineries there, and I, I miss the uh, tranquility of it and being closer to the mountains. Uh, that was it's a little quieter out there, but uh, we have a, an incredible, beautiful facility, 12,000 foot uh, winery that uh, we made out of uh, two old potato sheds. So it's. Uh, 
I love it. So you are the uh, uh, the namesake of sustainable and recycling. Um, very fun. Well, let's talk about wine. I know that you you had don't didn't call yourself a connoisseur early on. Um, I would imagine you've had a chance to taste. Uh, let's see, ninety-seven. Talking about almost twenty vintages of wine. Yeah, yeah. It's been it's been quite a journey, you know. And uh, you know, it was really fun. From our very first bottle of wine in '97, uh, we talked about those glacial floods and uh, the uh, basalt lava flows, and it was interesting because the wine industry really wasn't aware of it back then. And uh, so, you know, we nobody could figure out what those little ripples were when you're taking that little uh, puddle jumper over from Seattle into Walla Walla. Like, look at that. It looks like the beach, but I don't figure it out. Yeah, yeah. There's just like ripples on the bottom of a uh, on a stream, you know, in the sand that you see. Except these are 30, 40 feet high and, uh, you know, a couple hundred yards apart, you know. So. One of the greatest stories, it's, almost, it's, it's truly made for Hollywood. Talk about all these apocalypse movies. I mean, the uh, Missoula Flood, that could be a movie with, uh, you know, putting some dinosaurs and some cavemen back in the day, which didn't exist at all. Uh, so, fun. Um, your first vintage was 97 or 95? 1997. 1997. Yeah. And so when we talk about that, you still have some of that vintage left? We, we do. And actually, we started out with Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, and the only Cab Franc that we actually did a varietal bottling of. And all three of them are still tasting very, very beautiful. Wow. Where did the Cab Franc come from? So, a little tiny vineyard called Whitney Vineyard in Walla Walla. Um, and that one it's really we've only gotten fruit off of it two times Christophe uh, Baron when he also started in 97 and he took that vineyard over for uh, a vintage anyway and uh, we got a little bit of fruit off of it working with Christophe and that Cap Franc was absolutely gorgeous so he made Cap Franc but that must have been for his Camisbello at the time yeah um, yeah he didn't like say he only worked with that vintage for one year another family owned it and and, you know, there's a, their agreement didn't quite work out, I guess, okay. for lack of a better word. <laughs> That's how it grows sometimes. So, um, your original, we had three wines, Cab Merlot and Cab Franc. And uh, today, I'm looking at uh, 2009 and 2012 vintages. How many wines are you producing uh, for the 2015 vintage? Oh, gosh. Let's see. We have about 14 different wines that we're, that we're doing. So, yeah, when I started, I thought I was going to be Bordeaux-centric. So it's kind of fun seeing this lineup um, because the whole reason why I got into wine is for the love of the adventure. I call it the adventure of the soul. Wine is an adventure of the soul. So we have our 2012 uh, Cabernet Sauvignon. But in 1999, we started making uh, Syrah, um, discovered that great actually playing uh, around with uh, uh, with Rusty Figgins. He was doing some Syrah and, we, you know, we were just trading. Glen Fiona. Notes. Yeah, the old Glen Fiona. And um, so uh, trading notes and barrel tasting. And I was just so intrigued w with the grape. So, uh, in fact, 1999, when I was crushing my very first Syrah, um, Norm McKibben called me up and offered me some Sangiovese and is some of the first off is Seven Hills and that leads to our 2009 Chima that we're also tasting here. So uh, Norm... Chima, C-I-M-A it means an Italian word for summit you just told me. Yes, it means summit or peak and my mother-in-law came up with that name because I used to work as a climbing guide in Alaska and uh, up at Mount Rainier and down in Argentina and uh, she 
you thought that would be an apropos name and, and it, I went it, to school with Bobby Whitaker you know the, oh, the son yeah. of uh, Jim Whitaker yeah yeah so um, I went climbing back in my day too in the old REI days and uh, my folks were climbers so I got a little experience then well let's dive into this wine 2009 okay. Shima it's a Walla Walla Valley wine you got uh, 50% Sangiovese 20% Cabernet Sauvignon 20% Merlot and a 10% Petit Verdot um, your idea, the inspiration for this wine was? Yeah, well, like say, Norm called me up, uh, asked me about uh, if I wanted some Sangiovese. I said, what the heck, I want to learn something new? Sure. So when I finished uh, crushing our Syrah, I ran down to Seven Hills about 10 o'clock at night, picked it up. Uh, we crushed the Sangiovese, worked on it till about 2, 3 in the morning. Uh, we started fermenting it. It looked like strawberry soda. I mean, you pitched it or did it start fermenting no, on its own? No, no, no. I, I'm, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but uh, <laughs> we got the fermentation going. And, uh, and uh, you know, I, it's something I didn't like it at all. I didn't know how to work it I, with it. I never had studied it. Uh, I really studied uh, how to make uh, Sangiovese, so it's kind of going by Braille. But uh, as it was fermenting, it just, like I said, didn't have a lot of color. It had strawberry soda pop, foam like crazy. I didn't like it. We put it to barrel. <laughs> heard that three times. I love it. I thought I thought I was going to. Uh, it was going to be the first wine I was going to sell bulk to other wineries. And uh, about four months later, after being in the barrel, it just started taking on a little more color, and uh, these beautiful aromatics just started blossoming from it. And so, okay, God, this is great, but I'm Bordeaux-centric. Now what do I do? And uh, so then it came, I started thinking about Super Tuscan. Super Tuscans being Sangiovese blended with just about anything Bordeaux. And uh, so uh, that's what we did. We blended it with some uh, Merlot, some Cab, and Cab. Franc and uh, put it to barrel and put it back to barrel and it just kept getting better and better. Well, about a year later, I was uh, contemplating that I wanted to learn about extended maturation. That's a, uh, a fancy way for saying, leaving the wine in the barrel for a long time. What can I do it with? Well, in the tradition of Brunella di Monticino, it's 100% Sangiovese, but they traditionally leave it in the barrel for about five years. And uh, so this is kind of dual inspiration anyway, Italian, Tuscan type dual inspiration. So this 2009 actually was a little bit more than six years in the barrel here. Holy smokes. Well, you know, when we come back from this break, we've just uh, provided a great tease for all of our listeners out there in Happy Hour Radio. I have the pleasure of speaking with Chuck Reininger, um, who, along with his Walla Walla uh, ancestry family and wife, uh, Tracy, is uh, now a proprietor and owner of Reininger Cellars, which started in 2007. It's ReinigerWinery.com. I'm sorry, 1997. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm trying to do. Uh, and the wine website? ReiningerWinery.com. Perfect. So we come back from this break. We're going to jump into the 2009 Chima, which is a Sangiovese Super Tuscan. So stick around, folks. We'll be right back here at Taste Walla Walla 2016. <laughs> Good. All right. 
Hey, welcome back, folks. We're at Taste Walla Walla 2016, and I'm speaking with Chuck Reiniger, the founder, uh, along with his lovely wife, Tracy, of Reiniger Winery. And uh, we've got the 2009 Chima, which is a 50% Sangio, and the rest are Cab Merlot and Petit Verdot. I'm taking a sip. Uh, what I first find is it's, it's got a beautiful color with all the other varieties there, but the uh, the, the acid is, is gorgeous. It's uh, bright, and you've got texture on the wine. Um, I think that's from this oxidative style of winemaking. I don't want to say oxidative, because it can be seemed uh, seem as a, um, a fault, you know. But you were in the barrel a long, long time. <laughs> well, the wine was. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, yeah. You. I mean, the uh, you know the royal you, you and your wines. Yeah, no, it's wonderful about it. You know, it obviously creates softness, mouthfeel, and uh, really helps develop the f uh, flavors and starts taking on a Chima will, with even more time, starts taking on a little bit more leather and getting a little more um, uh, uh, tobacco going in there. And uh, so, real nice traditional. Also, sometimes a little sour cherry aspects going on. So, um, I yeah. think it really complements the dark uh, red, dark black fruits you get from Cabernet Sauvignon. Merlot gives you the plum. Petit Verdot also very inky, very dark. Um, Brings and in a lot of that blackberry. In yeah, there. Uh, it's a nice foil because you get the the high tone uh, red and the acidity. This is all natural acidity. Absolutely. I love it. And uh, to me, that's the hallmark of a, of a great world-class wine. Um, where do we find your wines on the west side here in Seattle and King County? Oh, boy, just about, you know, any lot of the specialty wine shops, you know, in around here. Um, Peace is always a good place to, to find it. Um, our Helix label you'll find in a lot of the grocery stores. So, yeah, just kind of keep your eye out. Any any of the specialty wine shops where you'll find, be more inclined to find the Reininger. Excellent. Okay, we'll, we'll search them out, ReiningerWineReat.com. Next up is the 2012 Walla Walla Valley Cabernet Sauvignon. And I'm excited about this because uh, obviously 2009 very warm, 2010 was cool, 2011 was downright cold, and 2012 kind of brought us back to normal. Um, tell me about this wine, the vintage. I like how you say normal because it was just about just a hair over, um, you know, warmer than than average uh, vintage. Uh, 2012 is, I think, is brings out just a lot of the classic flavors of, of Cabernet Sauvignon. I think um, by harking back to like 1999, 2009, um, 2012 seems to be there with it. This has um, a little bit of Petit Verdot also blended in there. Um, one of the things that I really love about Walla Walla Valley fruit, when you do 100% Walla Walla Valley, which is what Reininger is, it really bridges what we call old world, in other words, European wines and new world, uh, mainly North American uh, winemaking. So um, it has that, brings on a lot of the earth tones, um, a little bit of herbalness too out of it, which you f naturally find in Cabernet Sauvignon. It's what it's, uh, you know, one of its uh, trademarks on it. Um, unless you leave it on the vine forever and ever and uh then you've got amarone called cabernet sauvignon um and herbal notes are great because i think you get a bit of the time i always like the time uh, notes that come out of this and uh, the tobacco and time now your oak usage your cooperage here uh, i get um some tastes of vanilla clove but i'm gonna say this is in 40 percent 50 percent new wood 
It, you're right on there. It's 40% and uh, it's uh, French oak. And, um, you know, um, Cabernet Sauvignon, it's, it's really interesting. It just really depends on the vintage um, how much new oak we can put on there. I've learned that uh, I have to be very judicious with the oak. And, um, some Which is something you learn because I think everyone thought that we could do it just like the Bordelais and, and slap up two years of really beautiful, expensive French oak on it and then find out that that's what we wanted. But oh, and actually cooler vintages I find uh, want less less new oak on it to tell you the truth so um, you know cooler vintages will be uh, very feminine I think uh, oftentimes a little more intriguing there you have to slow down it's kind of like eastern Washington if you want to observe the beauty in it you really have to slow down and be much more um, cognitive you know cooler vintages wine, wines uh, can be much more cognitive but they're not the va 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 boom you know they're not going to be the sexy <laughs> I know when you said a feminine style wine. I'm thinking, what about all those voluptuous style wines we talk about, where they're so ripe and generous? And uh, uh, when you say feminine, we're talking about more elegance, really. More exactly, exactly. And cooler vintages tend to be that way, and there can be a lot. You just you have to search for the beauty a little bit more, you know. And as as we know, those those are where the true loves are often found, you know. <laughs> I love that. You're quite the romantic. I'm um, getting it. Uh, the 2012 Cabernet Sauvignon from Walla Walla Valley. Uh, how many vineyards go into this wine? It's just two. This is Pepper Bridge and Seven Hills. Oh, well, uh, those are really good vineyards. So I uh, love it. Price point? This guy here is $48. All right. And um, it really shows a lot. And I love the, the fact that, you know, the Cabernet with the touch of Petit Verdot on it. Did you say Malbec too? Nope. Just, just Petit Verdot, which is a very dark grape. And, and, you know, we're finding that someday we'll figure out what that's supposed to taste like on its own. But regardless, it's a great... You need to come to Reininger. Okay. we do a little. Bit, All right. So. Um, final wine here is the 2012 uh, Walla Walla Valley Syrah. How many vineyards go into this? Is this Lake Colleen and Pepper Bridge? No, actually, this is Pepper Bridge and Seven Hill. Oh, again, you've got it. You're, you're tied into it. And that's what the beauty of starting early in 1997. Uh, you know, Norm and, and company and uh, Marty, those guys own Lake, Lake Colleen, no, right? No, Seven Hills at the time. Hills. And Casey, yeah. Uh, big news actually with Casey McClellan yes. over there. How exciting is that? That, you know, we like the, the, the number there too because it, it says that they put in a lot of sweat equity and of course uh, their, their life and uh, heart and all of that. Um, just as you do here with Reininger, and the name Reininger, uh, is that Austrian, is that German? It is Austrian, actually. Yeah, my grandfather came from Vienna about 1904 and uh, became a dentist in Connecticut. <laughs> So I like how you can become something in America. That's, That's right. They, just like my dad, he became a doctor in America. Yeah, they actually, his family, believe it or not, actually, uh, they had a coffee shop in Vienna. They roasted coffee, made their own coffees, and so be another natural for me, huh? Uh, wow, well, funny. There goes Eric McLaughlin of uh, Seven Hills Winery now. So, uh, Austrian family making uh, a mountain guy makes sense in the Alps of over there. Um, this, I'm going to take a taste. You said Pepper Bridge and Seven Hills. Yes. Um, I'm going to say 20% new oak. I even tasted it. That's my guess. <laughs> Taste it and tell me what you think. This is a very plush wine. I mean, your pH is, is up there. You've got this great mouthfeel. Um, but I'm not getting a lot of vanilla, clove, and cinnamon. I'm, uh, I'm going to drop it down to 10%. 
Wrong again. We need to hang out a little bit more. Okay. We know each other better. No, Syrah actually, in my mind, should never, ever see a stitch of new oak. Right. And uh, the reason for that, and um, it's the way I, I enjoy making Syrah. Syrah is such, such a beautiful grape, has so many wonderful little nuances that I found that anytime I put any new oak on it, um, it starts uh, hiding those little nuances, it starts taking it a little more Bordelais, and it's not that it doesn't make a beautiful wine, it just takes away from Syrah's natural beauty. You know, she doesn't need any makeup whatsoever. You know? <laughs> so. You're right, and uh, I just figured from a new world style, the, um, you know, new world winemaker, we would just put a dab because uh, our populace loves that, but in the true Northern Rhone tradition, uh, zero new oak, and uh, delicious wine. Um, the depth of this wine, it's got a lot of concentration of flavor, but it, and there's no astringency whatever, whatsoever here. Yeah, it's, um, you know, again, it goes with the higher pHs, um, the softness in Syrah is, it also has to do with the way that, uh, that we ferment it. Um, you know, we'll oftentimes, uh, stainless? No, no, this Concrete? is, this is all oak. No, no, it's, uh, well, it's fermented in stainless. Yes. And then we, then we oftentimes will finish fermentation in the barrel and that will also help soften it. Um, but it's a hundred percent French oak, just no new oak. So we'll actually, we'll actually uh, can usually condition the Syrah barrels with Cab Franc or Merlot anyway. For I like that. Vintage. Condition so them. Yes. Yeah, so it's actually uh, three years. The barrels are three years old before it sees any any oak. In. This is really delicious. This has got the best of the exotic, or I should say the uh, um, the complex, interesting notes you get from Syrah, but it's just got such a generous mouthfeel. Um, it's plush and polished that it's just such a mmm factor wine with the, the hints of spice and uh, pepper. Um, I love it. What does this run? So this this guy runs uh, 48 also and um, it's um, one of the things that we do at Reininger though, we're all about education. We've actually for many years we've been doing single varietal bottlings of Carmenere, Malbec um, and Petit Verdot and so we, uh, but most of these things are available in our winery only. So and this is 100% Syrah? So this is 100% Syrah, yeah. Gotta love that. And uh, what a treat to sit down and uh, reconnect with Chuck Reininger, the founder, along with his lovely wife Tracy of Reininger Winery, ReinigerWinery.com. Um, take a little detour when you're on your way to Walla Walla. Make sure you stop by. They've got three lovely wineries there, and of course, uh, you're the old school now. We are, and that's actually kind of my approach to winemaking, too. Yeah. I love it. Well, Chuck Reininger, thanks so much for joining me on Happy Hour Radio. So, thank you very much. All right, this will be um, segment one for uh, show number four. And uh, I've got Eisenhower Sellers, Eisenhower Sellers with um, Denise Eisenhower. All right. Hey, this is Christopher Chan, your host of Happy Hour Radio, and I'm out and about in uh, downtown Seattle, really the Seattle Center, for the 2016 Taste Walla Walla. Uh, 50 plus wineries here, lots of uh, great wines, and of course the winemakers and uh, founders and <laughs> viticulturists. And right now, I've got the pleasure of uh, having a namesake winery, uh, Eisenhower Cellars, the Brett Eisenhower winemaker, founder, and his partner in uh, all the adventure of viticulture. And winemaking Washington is Denise Eisenhower. Denise, welcome to Happy Hour. Great, thank you. Great to be here. How did you and Brett meet? 
We actually met at a hospital pharmacy in 1995. At a hospital pharmacy? Wait a minute, were you in line? Uh, we were both new recruits at the hospital. Uh, we both got out of pharmacy school the year prior and um, had a workplace romance, got married and decided to leave Indiana. We actually uh, went to uh, Boulder, Colorado. My husband got his MBA there. He immediately wanted to get out of pharmacy and we kept thinking, what kind of business do we want to do? And we started making beer and wine for fun back in 1995. In Colorado? In Colorado, Boulder, Colorado. The whole brew pub thing was popping up. and um, So we were making beer and it was like, oh, the problem is you, you really have to kind of get in the restaurant scene at that time. It wasn't just, you could just make beer and open up a place and people will show up. It was all, you had to have the whole, the whole restaurant scene. And, there was already a bunch in Boulder. It was the brew pub scene, right? It was the brew pub scene, absolutely. And we didn't really want to go that route. And so the whole wine thing was really more intriguing to us, the history of it. My husband was a huge history buff and just the fact that wine has been around forever. And so we just kind of did more and more research on that and decided that um, we wanted to kind of look into the wine business. And we looked every place. I just didn't want to go back to Indiana. So we looked west of the Mississippi and uh, ended up choosing Walla Walla through some trials and tribulations, but it was the kind of most entrepreneurial place. We could both get jobs as pharmacists, and um, people were very welcoming to us. Oh, well, they must like the, uh, well, outsiders and insiders because Walla Walla is truly one of the crossroads of our state and the history of Walla Walla. I mean, it was a huge trading center, so um, it has a long tradition of welcoming people. Now, are you a uh, IU grad, Notre Dame grad? Where are you, where are you from back there in, the, in Indiana? Uh, I went to Butler and my husband went to Purdue. Oh, okay. We have a Boilermaker and a Bulldog, both bees. Well, congratulations. Now, are you still uh, practicing the pharmacy, phar pharmacist, pharmacologist? Pharmacology? Yeah, no, we both quit in 2003. We decided, um, we had our first child, and we decided either the winery was going to make it or break it, and decided we're quitting our day jobs. We were sick of the 80 hour days, and just no looking black. Yeah, a lot of standing too, and you thought restaurant work was hard. I mean, as a pharmacist, <laughs> you're really standing back there, and uh, it's generally tough. Well, congratulations. So let's talk about Eisenhower Cellars. You moved to Walla Walla in 1995, you said? Uh, 1998. We actually, we had lived in Boulder for three years while Brett went to MBA school. Um, we actually came out on a sunny day in February of 1998. It was beautiful. Uh, we literally bought a house that weekend, and we moved two months later, April 1st of 1998. Um, I actually met Casey McClellan at the hospital pharmacy at um, St. Mary's, and he was telling me about a vineyard tour that I needed to go and check out. And so we went and we met Christoph, um, we met Jeff Hill, and they kind of introduced us to some different winemakers and uh, vineyard owners, and we're like, well, let's buy some fruit. I don't know Jeff Hill. Tell me Jeff Hill. I obviously know Christoph yeah. Barone. Um, Jeffrey Hill had um, Forgotten Hills Vineyard, and he is the, the Van Gogh of Walla Walla. I'm sure you've seen his artwork. He had artwork all over all the tasting rooms. I mean, when he first went into the cold, the two paintings there, I mean, he's, he's got artwork everywhere. Ryan and Gurf, Five Star. Um, so we had met him, and we actually bought some Merlot from him our first year in 1999. Um, is this a home winemaking project, or did you actually no, start, we you got bonded? We went commercial. We helped um, an actual, we helped, uh, this, what was it, um, Colvin Vineyards. We helped him bottle his first um, two barrels of wine, and it took us all day to, to bottle 
two barrels of wine and I told Brett that we are going to make enough to have the bottling truck come out our first year because it, it was awful. It was a disaster. And I was like, I, I was worried about how sanitary it was. I mean, just the whole process. And so we um, literally went, we did 900 cases our very first year. We did 900 cases of Merlot and um, 100 cases of a Syrah in 1999. Wow, that's a, uh, a great endeavor. And were you pleased with the, the process and the, the wines? Um, I think we were very lucky. Um, you know, back then, and even now, I mean, the, the weather was perfect. And as long as you had good grapes, it was pretty hard to screw things up. Um, and so we just, we had great vineyard sources. We had um, some great friends that helped us. We got to borrow somebody's barrel prep. You know, we just, we got to borrow things from people. They were very generous. And uh, we were in the old Glen Fiona facility. Rusty Figgins kind of took us under his wing and Jeff, um, John Abbott, um, Brett helped them. We learned how to clean tanks and just work equipment. We didn't know anything. We were you, pharmacists. Well, learning how, well, obviously you know some microbiology, <laughs> <know> microbiology. <laughs> and that's important uh, for the end product. Uh, so your first vintage was 1999 grapes, and that came out in 2001. Mm -hmm. uh, tough time to come out, wasn't it? It was awful. Literally, um, we were out in Seattle and we sold like, I think $15,000 worth of wine and the 9-11 hit and we didn't sell any wine for probably three months. Yeah, it was a very scary time for everybody in the business, in any business, it didn't matter, uh, big change in our lives. Uh, so you are now on your 16th vintage. Correct, yes. Yeah. Well, all right, that's good math in my head. Uh, I'm looking at some lovely labels here. Give me the uh, history of uh, the background on these labels because I see it looks like a flower or uh, it's a lovely painting, a watercolor. Yeah, we met with um, Squire Broll. He's a local artist out of Walla Walla. And we kind of just gave him some images of, of what we were looking for. Um, it's, kind of a, it's kind of a metaphor for one of our wines we used to have called Red Paintbrush. It's actually a, a flower. My husband and I used to go hiking a lot in the mountains, and it was kind of a something that we ra kept running into as we were hiking. And so it was kind of a, a picture of that. Um, and we've had his paintings since two, or used his label um, for our artwork since 2008. Um, and we've just kind of changed the background colors. All right, so I see a 2014 Marsan, a 2013 uh, Petit Verdot called Jongleur. Jongleur, yes. And uh, Bachelor's what? Bachelor's Button. We've Bachelor's had Button. Yeah, it's, we, we had our wines renamed after wildflowers there for a while. And um, in 2008, my husband said he was sick of wildflower names, and we're not doing it anymore. So we've moved on, but we have kept Bachelor's Button because we've had it. Um, this is our, I think, 12th release of Bachelor. Okay, and that's a Cabernet Sauvignon. So uh, Marsan, uh, well-known in the Northern Rhone area, of course, the Southern Rhone a little bit too as well, uh, known for a rich, oily style wine. It's uh, um, quite a, I'm going to say chameleon because we have different versions of it throughout the world, but I'm excited about Marsan. To me, it's one of the, uh, the hallmark signature whites out of uh, the, the Rhone Valley. Correct. This is, uh, it's actually labeled as a Marsan. It is 77% um, Marsan from Dutchman Vineyard. Um, we actually added 18% Roussan um, from Olsen Vineyard and then 5% Viognier from Upland. Um, we love Marsan. Um, it's, it, you know, it's a unique varietal. You don't see it everywhere. It's very crisp. Uh, this particular one was done partially in barrel and also in tank. Um, so yeah, it's a lovely wine. It goes great with spicy food. Um, Salmon. There's a little bit of spice on this wine. Is there a little any barrel on here? There is some barrel on it. Correct. Uh, okay. Yes, absolutely. 
Um, delicious, I think nice bright acidity. Of course you get the richness from uh, the, the Marsan. There's a touch of oil on this wine. I like to say it's the flower oil to me from when I'm doing my blind tastings that there's just a, a richness to the palate that is, um, it's a neutral flavor, but it's, you still get the glycerol feel. And I'm, that's kind of my version for glycerin. Um, if we know what glycerin, glycerin is kind of the outside of those gel caps kind of thing. Um, in a good way, this is delicious. Natural acidity, where's, where's the vineyards, the vineyard sources for this wine? So it's, it's Dutchman Vineyard, it's the Marsan, um, the Roussan is from Olsen, and then the Viognier is from Upland. Excellent. Um, your website and what are the price points for these? Uh, this wine is $19 retail. Excellent. I love that. And uh, let's move to the next wine. This is called the uh, Jonglur, which is, it must be something different. I mean, Eisenhower, I can't tell if that's an English name or a... Uh... Uh, yeah, it's a jongleur. It's a, from the medieval times. It was an entertainer or a juggler. And uh, this is kind of a metaphor for Brett and I with juggling our family and small winery. Um, as again, I said, he was sick of the flower names, so we had to come up with some unique names to name our wines because it's something we've done from day one. And so that's where the jongleur came from. Where's your uh, winery in Walla Walla? Do you have a tasting room outside of Walla Walla? Or? We do. We have a tasting room in Woodenville, just um, down the street from uh, Janik Winery. And then our winery is on the south side of town near Pepperbridge, Rulo, North Star, in that area. Um, uh, yeah. And that's a tasting room as well? Yes, yes, we are open. Both places are open Thursday through Monday. All right, so this is Petit Verdot. Now, this is 100%? 100% Dionysus Vineyard. Um, all of our reds are done 100% native ferment as well. And so, um, in our minds, Dionysus is a perfect place to, in order to be able to do 100% Petit Verdot. It's right there on the Columbia. It's got great sunshine, great, um, great slope, great drainage. Is it close to Spokane, though? Uh, Dionysus, no, they're just north of... Um, Pasco, Washington. Ah, okay. One of my favorite vineyards, and I've yet to be there, so I'm still a little bit, yeah. uh, um, well, uh, a novice in knowing where some of these are. Now, 100% Petit Verdot. I've had the, the chance to taste some of these. Um, when you think about creating 100% Petit Verdot, there's not many benchmarks around the world to, to understand where we want to go, what it can be, where you're like, ooh, ah, that was epiphany kind of thing. Mm-hmm. What's the, um, the style? I mean, is this sort of, you know what, we made it the way we make all our wines, or how do you sort of talk about this? Um, we had done 100% Petit Verdot back in 2005 for one of our wine club wines. And um, I, the key is, you know, you've got to have the right vineyard in order to do 100% wine, in my in my perspective, in Brett's perspective. Um, this particular vineyard is just perfect for Petit Verdot. It, it, can, has a, it ripens the way it needs to ripen. It's not an over-the-top jamminess flavor. And um, it's just got a, it's a great stylistic approach for Washington Petit Verdot but it's not over the top that you need to blend it to make it drinkable. Yes, I think Petit Verdot can be very, very extracted, uh, sort of a, um, a mind blower or a palate buster of a grape. Not that it's got high tannin, but it's, that it's just so powerful. And what I like about Petit Verdot is that it has a touch of perfume on, on the palate. And then it, it, this one is really a medium plus body. You're not getting as much extraction that I think can be over fatiguing. And um, I, like, I like that. I'm looking for a benchmark for Petit Verdot. I think I found it. 2013 Eisenhower Jongleur, and it means juggler. Um, and what's the, the language it means juggler in? It's a uh, French. It is a French. And finally, the 2013 Bachelor's Button, which is named after wildflower. Uh, this is the 12th or 13th vintage? Uh, 12th. 12th vintage is the 2013. 
13, I should say 12th year of production, 2013 vintage, and this is Cabernet Sauvignon. What's the blend here? This is 90% Cabernet, 5% Petit Verdot from the same Dionysus vineyard, and then 5% Deneen Cab Franc. Deneen, yes, I love Pat Deneen, longtime friend of mine. I just took a sip. Um, polish, balance, beauty, elegance, um, just enough texture on the sort of halfway point to the finish where you get uh, some of that deeper, darker flavor and realize that it's, it's, a, it's a big, beefy wine. Yeah, it's, you know, like our Cabernet, we've always made it to be more about substance and grace, elegant, um, never, you know, huge tanning they have to hang on to and let it sit forever, um, but it ages well, and it's, it's really all about balance, and I think that's where our pharmacy has come into play, so, you know, it's basic organic chemistry, um, if everything's balanced, a wine will age well, and... I love it, and uh, what a treat. We've tasted the uh, Marsan, which is 82% uh, Marsan, 18% Roussan, 2014 vintage out of Dutch, Dutchman Hills, I think it was, and uh, the uh, Petit Verdot, uh, which is a beautiful wine, 100% Petit Verdot out of uh, Jonglur, or it's the Columbia Valley. Uh, you said that was Dionysus, and finally the Bachelor's Button, Cabernet Sauvignon. Um, tell me this, this apage again. Um, that is from Upland Vineyard and Wallula Vineyard. So we've got some old world cab with some new world cab blended together to get the 90% cab and then 5% of the Petit Verdot from Dionysus and then 5% Cab Franc. It's beautiful wine. Um, your price points, you said the, the uh, Marsan was 18? 19. 19. And then these are 34. Excellent. And the website? EisenhowerSellers.com. Fantastic. Uh, <laughs> Eisenhower Sellers. Well, where was the E at? Yeah, there's no E. The E was dropped. <laughs> it's a family thing, not my family. Got it. Okay, uh, Denise Eisenhower, thanks so much for joining me on Happy Hour Radio. Thank you. Nice to be here. Hey, welcome back to Happy Hour Radio, and I'm uh, in downtown Seattle at the Seattle Center for Taste Walla Walla 2016. Uh, what a great event. Uh, you can't miss it next year. It's in February. Sorry, it's, uh, yeah, it's in February, and then later February, you've got it down in Portland, so there's still some time. Um, check out Walla Walla Wine Alliance or wallawallavalleywine.com.org. What is the wine? WallaWallaValleyWine.org, I believe. There it is, exactly. Uh, and that was Dave Harvey, who's the winemaker for an iconic label, um, one of the first woman-owned labels there, uh, Bergevin Lane. Um, Annette Bergevin is now the sole proprietor. She must have a partner, I'm sure. But Dave Harvey, welcome to Happy Hour. Well, thanks, Chris. So let's talk about, um, we just had off, off uh, air, we met uh, the first uh, director, executive director of the Wine Commission, which was Simon Siegel. I think it was the wine, uh, Washington Wine Institute named back then, uh, and you actually knew him, so you've got uh, some history here. Tell us about how you got started and what year you were in when you started uh, drinking or <laughs> making wine. So really, um, I started in the wine business in um, 1989, uh, worked in a little wine shop in Spokane, Washington, um, caught the bug. Had to leave to go a couple, for a couple of years to go earn some money and pay some debts. And in 1994, um, I was able to start at Katerina Winery in Spokane. Um, from there, um, in 1996, I moved down to the valley, worked for Terra Blanca for seven years. Um, from there, Gordon. You say the valley down to the Columbia Valley, Yakima Valley. I call it. I call it the. It's all the valley, right? I mean, in, in, at least in that day, everything was the valley. Um, but yeah, really, that's the Yakima Valley. Um, 
That was 1994, huh? Yeah. yeah. So we only had two uh, Appalachians or American viticulture yeah, areas, was... Yakima and Walla Walla at the time. Columbia Valley came in, so actually we had three because, yeah. And in that 10 year, Red Mountain came on. Well, uh, 95 was Puget Sound, and yeah. 2001 was Red Mountain, and uh, I think the next was Horse Seven Hills. No, Columbia Gorge, Horse Seven Hills. Anyway, we'll figure that out. But uh, you were saying. <laughs> Oh, no, I, Katarina. I, I was at Katarina, then down at uh, Terra Blanca, uh, then Gordon Brothers, spent a year out on San Juan Island, and I just wanted to experience the... the um, was that with Yvonne? Yeah, was with Yvonne, yeah. and then um, worked in a five-winery complex in Pasco, Washington for seven years. And Is that the big... Uh... That, was, that was Townsend Cellars, Preston, oh. uh, Pontine Del Rosa, Canyon's Edge... Well, uh, Barry King. Interesting. I don't know. Those, I'm in Canyon's Edge. I've heard of. I don't know if they're still around. But the uh, the last one was called what? Buried Cane. <laughs> oh, Buried Cane. Got it. Yeah, that's part of the Cataretta family yeah. yeah. now. So uh, you've you've worked with some of the greats, Charlie Hoppus and uh, um, Townsend. Um, he makes some cool wines, and, and he was uh, actually back in 2006, our first Seattle Wine Awards. He was the winner of the Bordeaux Blend yes. for that first year. I remember that. That was really cool for me. Um, and obviously, we've uh, gotten much, we've grown much bigger. And you are now with Bergevin Lane. When did you start? In 2011. Moved back down to Walla Walla. Um, this has been a really, really fun project. The Bergevin family are gems of people. They're wonderful, wonderful people. Uh, they give me everything that I need and want, um, within reason. And um, you know, we're charging hard. We're we're um, growing both brands, our linen label and our Bergevin Lane label, and um, you know, gaining some national distribution and, and taking things up a notch every chance we get. That's great. So tell me quickly about Annette Bergevin, who is uh, well, the namesake. Um, I think it was Amber Lane at one time, if I remember yes. correctly. Yes. So uh, Annette now is uh, running the show. What's her role? Well, Annette is really the boss. I, she does every, you know, she takes care of all the stuff that needs to be taken care of. Um, you know, you, some people would call her a controller. Some people would call her a general manager. But we're a four-person winery. So she's, you know, she's everything from mom to, um, to uh, you know, the person who cleans the bathrooms. And we all take on every role in the winery. And a lot of hats to wear when you're only just down to four people, especially for a, um, an iconic winery. When was Bridgman Lane founded? They were founded in 2000. And how many cases are you producing and how many wines? We're doing uh, too many wines. Uh, seven wines. Sorry, boss. <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm, I tend to always want to add, oh, we can do this or that. Um, but um, in and around 10,000 cases. Wow, that's big. And uh, you have, uh, is he still doing the Calico? Is that you? We still do Calico Red. Um, we are other um, more affordable wines. We do a Sauvignon Blanc in our linen label. We do a Red Table wine in our linen label. And various small projects. We'll have a Carmenere out. We'll have a little bit of Riesling out. Very cool. I think linen is such a sexy name, especially when you've got a white or even the red. And uh, it just sounds crisp um, and uh, elegant, sophisticated. So as we talk about sophistication, um, 
Viognier is one of those wines that has been kind of on the fringes of uh, consumerism. Um, when it comes to Viognier, it's mostly known for a white wine in the Northern Rhone called Condru. Uh, there's a Chateau Grier, which is its single uh, uh, vineyard, a AOP, its own appellation. And uh, outside of that, we have California Viognier and then Washington Viognier. And there's some actually, it's taken some time for Viognier to really figure its, its timbre, its rhythm. Um, when was the first time you worked with Viognier? My first Viognier was 2005. Um, from one of the vineyards we're getting grapes from now, from Willard Farms. Um, for this 2013 vintage, uh, it's a, we split the vineyards from a Yakima Valley vineyard, which is Willard Farms, and a small vineyard in Walla Walla Valley called Francisca's Vineyard. It's, it's one acre of Vignet for us. And um, a, an older couple in their retirement years are farming a total of five acres on their own. It's the cutest thing you've ever seen. They're wonderful, wonderful people. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll always split between two vineyards, but um, the Francisca one, Francisca's Vineyard is very, very special. Too. Very cool. So uh, 2005 was your first foray into um, the uh, Viognier grape. When was your first production here? What, did you actually arrive in 2011 in May? or my production, first production year with Bergevin Lane would have been 2012. Okay. I finished the 2010s and the 2011s, um, which is some of the most challenging winemaking. Winemaking by committee is a difficult, difficult thing. And um, luckily, um, former winemaker had done a dynamite job and um, we were able to, to put together some, some... Who was the former winemaker? His name was Stefan. And don't ask me to pronounce his last name. He's a Viking. He's Dan Danish. Stefan Jungsgard. Jungsgard. Really? Yep. I know Stefan. Stefan's down here. Now he's doing wine in Chile. Yeah, Elqui yep. Vineyards. Uh, cool thing. I didn't know that about him. Yep. Um, but I do like his wines. So, uh, Love Struck Vignet, 2013 Columbia Valley. You said the Francisca Vineyard and the... Willard Farms. Willard Farms. Uh, so, production is what? 200 cases? This is about... 400. 400. Okay, great. So I'm tasting this one. I think the Air Max are, are popping out. You definitely get um, some white peach and a hint of honeysuckle and floral. Mm. And is this stainless steel or do you get a little texture on this? It's mostly um, neutral barrel. Neutral barrel. Because I'm getting something in there that says that this has a different style texture than uh, no, just stainless steel. Siska's has this very, and I, I wouldn't, it minerally profile um, and um, it's it's quite unique really really crisp even even if you do a, a, a full ml on it um, it still holds its acids very well and this wasn't full ml this no. is like partial yeah because the acid is still nice and bright um, there's certainly a little crispness a touch of phenolic bitterness which I think is about some skin contact yep. And uh, um, it's well done. I think, you know, Viognier is, is difficult because of its uh, moderate acidity, moderate to low acidity. And here, did you pick it early? You know, actually, I picked probably later than most. Um, the Willard Farms portion of this holds, it's very high elevation, about 1,200 feet, holds acid very, very well. Um, that site in particular, we're generally waiting um, for our acids to diminish before we make a picking decision. It's not necessarily on sugars, but on, on or even pH, but acid on that vineyard. Well, these names are fun. Love Struck Vignet 2013, and now we're on to the 2012 She Devil. Um, named after me. Named after you? Oh, yeah. 
Really, this came out uh, in 2000 and... No, I'm joking, I'm joking. They named, it, they named it before, but you know, they call me the she-devil about November 15th on. I get a little cranky um, after, you know, at the, tor at, the, at the tail end of harvest. And it's kind of the running joke around. <laughs> uh, understandably. Um, so 2012 Syrah, what are the vineyards? It says Columbia Valley, how many sources? So just two, again, Francisca's Vineyard. And then we get um, some fruit from up on the Walluke Slope from Stone Tree Vineyard, Ted Wildman. Um, fun, fun working with Ted. I've known him. Uh, first day on the job in the valley in, in, at Terra Blanca, Ted yelled at me. It was kind of cool. Um, he, was, he was consulting, and I got in the way. Uh, but uh, a great guy, an incredible manager, and you know, kind of the yin and the yang, a very, very, very warm site. And a very and a, and a somewhat cooler site in Walla Walla. Uh, I'm tasting the wine. It's uh, really a medium plus bodied weight wine. Uh, it's got dark purple and blue and such a black fruits, uh, hints of Greek and pepper, and um, uh, nicely balanced in the mouth. Now this seems still pretty young to me. Oh yeah, no, and all our wines are built to last. Um, it, you know, I'm an I'm an old timer, I guess you could call me that. And most of you know, I don't microlox. I don't do a lot of manipulation. In, in the winemaking process, um, I kinda, I'm kind of patient enough to let things happen. And um, I'm know, sensing a touch of oak here. So you've got 20%, 30% new oak. It's 20, if I remember correctly, in this vintage, 24%. Um, and um, you know, a, a good mix of American and French oak. Both. Um, it's nice and spicy. I think you get some vanilla and just a very faint hint of coconut. Uh, but I think that's a very pleasurable flavor, especially when you've got some of those. Uh, the ripeness here lends you, tends you to believe that there is a touch of sugar, but it's just really ripeness. And I think that's what's great about the, the fruitiness. Um, what are the price points here for the Lovestruck Viognier and the She Devil Syrah? In the tasting room, the Viognier is right at 20 bucks. The um, she Devil Syrah is right at 24. Fantastic. Well, Dave Harvey, winemaker for Bergevin Lane, uh, your website and your tasting room? BergevinLane.com. And your tasting room is open? It's open, well, seven days a week during the summer. This time of the year, we're open during the week. Call ahead, and I'm sure you'll get a chance to, to meet Dave Harvey. So thanks so much for joining me on Happy Hour Radio. Thank you very much, Chris. Hey, welcome back to Happy Hour Radio. We are at Taste Walla Walla 2016 at McCall Hall here at the Seattle Center. And uh, it is my sincere privilege and pleasure to have uh, Dwayne Walmuth, who is the executive director of the Walla Walla Valley Wine Alliance, which is the, uh, well, the organization that uh, sort of uh, shouts at the top of their lungs uh, all about Walla Walla. So, Dwayne, welcome to Happy Hour. Thanks, Christopher. Good to be here. All right. So maybe I, I mischaracterized what the Walla Walla Valley Wine Alliance does. So why don't you tell us uh, from an official capacity? Well, our mission uh, evolves around marketing. Obviously, what we do is really what wineries cannot do themselves, and that is market the entire uh, valley and wine region. So we hold large events uh, like our uh, uh, Walla Walla Wine at Macaw Hall. Uh, we have several events in the Valley, the Celebrate event. Uh, we've got a trade event this year called Reveal Walla Walla Valley. Uh, and then we produce uh, a number of marketing materials, uh, obviously a website, uh, 
a winery guide that's available uh, for anyone that uh, contacts us or it is available on, online on our website. Uh, so I'm looking at the Walla Walla Valley Wine Guide 2016, hot off the press. I see Amy Figgins here. I'm not sure who that is. Is that Dave? It's Corey Brunel with a company. Oh, that's Corey. And then there's Nina Beauty. And then this gentleman. Steve Robertson from Delmas Wines. Uh, Steve from Delmas. Great. That's good. Very cool. So we talked about some events. You mentioned Celebrate Walla Walla Valley Wine. Obviously, we have the spring release coming up. Uh, spring release, first weekend in May. Uh, we also have uh, a fall release and then a holiday barrel tasting uh, in November and December. Uh, but the signature event is the Celebrate Walla Walla Valley Wine. And what's really cool about it, this, it, it truly revolves around red wine, which is uh, best for Walla Walla Valley. Um, the first year you did it, was it Cabernet Sauvignon? Yeah, it's, uh, we're now in the fourth year. So we did Cab the first year, uh, Syrah the second year, and Merlot last year. So uh, 2016, again, June 16th through the 18th, we'll be focused on Cab. Okay, and so the, the beauty is that you've got uh, uh, three years under your, under your belt, and of course the entire valley is participating, and it's all about Cab. Cabernet Sauvignon, not just Walla Walla Valley, but also from around the world, correct? Right. What we do each year, uh, one of the focuses, features of the three days is a winemaker panel. Uh, we invite guest winemakers from regions around the world. Uh, this year we have uh, uh, Thomas Rivers Brown from Napa Valley, uh, Thomas Burke, who's representing Chateau Margaux's second label, uh, which is Pavillon Rouge, uh, and then... Uh, um, Oh, you've got the Vic. Chilean winemaker uh, from the Millahue Valley. That's uh, who's from Chile? Uh, Vic. V-I-K. <laughs> V-I-K. And, um, uh, of course, from Washington. Who's uh, in the lineup for the panel? We have Chuck uh, Reiniger from Reiniger Winery, uh, Gordy Veneri uh, from Walla Walla Vintners, and John Freeman from uh, Waterbrook. Ah, John Freeman. Good to see him out and about again. Uh, so Celebrate Walla Walla Wine Valley is uh, June 16th to the 18th. Uh, you can find tickets where? Uh, at Celebrate Walla Walla Valley, uh, or Celebrate Walla Walla, excuse me, dot com, uh, or Walla Walla Wine dot com. All right, so you, it's a must attend, especially if you like Cabernet, and uh, there's going to be a host of winemaking. You, you have some winemaker dinners, you have some wine tastings, and of course the signature panel series. Right. We start Thursday evening, uh, the 16th, with a vintage pour, a uh, select number of wineries, about 30 that are pouring uh, older vintage wines. Uh, and then on Friday, we have uh, a welcome reception kicking off the morning. Uh, we have two speakers. Uh, John Burke, again, is an MS, uh, will be a speaker. Thomas Burke. Uh, Thomas Burke, yeah, great, good guy. One of my favorites is uh, Master Sommier. And Pavillon Rouge uh, from the uh, First Growth Grand Cru uh, Chateau in Bordeaux, Chateau Margaux, one of five Grand Crus. And uh, well, this sounds really fantastic. I'm excited to be there. Of course, uh, Pavillon Rouge is one of my favorite wines, uh, and it's a Bordeaux-style blend, but he'll talk about all the Cabernet over there uh, in the stony soils of the left bank. You mentioned another event called Reveal Walla Walla. Tell me about this. Well, for those in the wine trade, uh, wine buyers, uh, we have a special uh, event taking place uh, in April, uh, April 17th and 18th. Uh, there's going to be a select number of uh, wines available for auction. 
Uh, it will be a fundraiser for the Walla Walla Valley Wine Alliance, uh, similar to Premier Napa Valley. Uh, and a uh, uh, select number of folks coming in and buying these special wines. They're one of a kind. Uh, it is not a consumer event, however, if they have uh, someone that they're working with at a wine shop and they would like to, uh, to get in and buy those wines. They're anywhere from five to 20 cases, uh, uh, size lots. So uh, select wines, again, that uh, available through trade and wine buyers. So Reveal Walla Walla is really a sort of behind the scenes industry only opportunity to uh, work with winemakers. You must have given the winemakers a heads up because they're producing these one of a kind wines. Give us a little history or story of the background on these wines. Well, uh, we've been working on it for about a year. Uh, the wineries, again, uh, we've got about 37 auction lots, uh, about 42 wineries involved. Some of them are collaborative lots. Uh, they're special wines that are not available anywhere else. Uh, they're unique either in the collaboration between the wineries, uh, the varietal mix, uh, the vineyard sourcing, uh, or the clones, uh, the grape clones, anything so that they're a, a special wine, and they truly are are special wines that uh, aren't available through any other channel. So April 17th and 18th, that's a Sunday and a Monday. Uh, what are the um, events and uh, programs for those two days? Well, it focuses around the auction. There's a welcome reception Sunday evening uh, and then uh, the tasting of the wines on Monday. Uh, again, uh, licensed wine buyers, so if they go to revealwallawalla.com, uh, they'll be able to see the registration requirements uh, and representatives that have a wine license uh, to purchase wine. Uh, and then uh, tasting in the morning, uh, the auction in the afternoon, and then a dinner that evening. Is the dinner for everybody? Uh, it is uh, for the wine, uh, for the wine the trade. Wine trade. Yeah. Okay. Attending the auction. Very interesting. And in, uh, much like the premier Napa Valley, which uh, we hear about, but it's truly just the wine industry coming to celebrate uh, each other's wines and, uh, of course, uh, the vintages and, and the blends. Um, so we've got celebrate Walla Walla June 16th to the 18th. Reveal Walla Walla helping just for the industry and uh, for all my industry friends out there. I'm going to try to be there on Monday. We got the Seattle Wine Awards on the 16th and 17th. So I'm going to hopefully uh, have some time to run out there on Monday and check it out because it sounds so fun. Um, of course, you have Spring Barrel, which is uh, the first weekend in May. You've got Holiday Wine Tasting, or sorry, Fall Release, which is the first weekend in November. November. And then the Holiday is the first weekend in December. Now, um, when would you say is the best time to go visit Walla Walla Valley? Uh, actually, there's 12 great months to... <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, Christopher, put me on the spot, would you? Uh, you know, anytime early spring on uh, through, uh, you know, November, uh, you know, the winter months obviously are slower, but it's also a good time because it's slower to get more time with the winemakers and the wineries themselves. So, you know, it's a good time to come over any time of year. And Walla Walla continues to add great restaurants, of course, uh, tasting opportunities and events. Uh, and as far as transportation goes, you've got a, a number of uh, tour companies that can help people um, take the high road and really enjoy themselves to the fullest? 
Uh, we do. Local uh, touring companies, uh, there's a number of them listed on our site uh, in the winery guide as well. And I recommend, you know, a lot of folks uh, consider driving, but you can fly over there. We just got uh, uh, more flights expanded into Walla Walla uh, in an earlier morning flight and then a late evening, uh, later in the afternoon flight uh, on Alaska Airlines. And of course, we have our taste and tote program so they can take a case of wine home free as baggage check it through it's a short no flight cost. yeah I like that no cost you can actually just fly in for a day which is really being the jet setter and flights are very inexpensive I noticed that it's 74 bucks to get to Walla Walla from SeaTac one way so um, you know you can have a nice lunch do some tasting and how many wine tasting rooms do you have down in downtown uh, Walla Walla now well, in downtown, it's about 30, uh, depending on how you define downtown, of course. But Walking distance. Yeah, yeah, probably 25 to 30 within walking distance. Excellent. Well, uh, what a treat. Dwayne Walmuth, uh, you have a fantastic staff. Of course, Heather Bradshaw is there, and uh, you're doing a great job promoting Wall Wall, really one of the Napa Valley's signature-style uh, uh, appellations we have in Washington State. So um, what year is this for Taste Wall Wall in Seattle? Is this year 12? Uh, yeah, I think we're about 10, 10 to 12. 10 to 12, all right. My man is fading too. Uh, but it's such a fun time. Great to have you. Thanks so much for joining me on Happy Hour Radio. Thanks, Christopher. Good to be here.